All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's action for everyone for this here, March 6th of 2022. Uh, I am your host, Mike Scott. I am I'm running a little ragged today. For those who followed me on Twitter, you know that it was F this movie fest yesterday and it was a it was a long day. Um, so I'm I'm a little ragged, but I am joined as always by my esteemed co-host, Liam O'Donnell. Liam, how are you today? I'm doing well. Uh, I did want to thank everybody for the reactions to last uh, week's uh, pod. That was uh, th- that was a lot of, uh, a personal one for us, and and, and it was really great to see uh, how it hit for everybody out there. And yeah, I'm having a. It, it was funny yesterday, Mike, watching you go through like five movies and the amount of time it took me to go through half of one because of <laughs> my kids at my house and having to pause things. Uh, <laughs> jealous. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, it, I mean, I love F this movie fast. It's definitely, but it's definitely like, there's, it's a good thing. It's only one day a year. Um, the other esteemed co-host that is with us today, it is his birthday. Happy birthday, Vice Victus. You're going on guys. Thanks. Thank you guys. Mike Liam for all the support. And thank you all the listeners, the action Twitter community and all the, all the, and all the haters too for giving me all the support, man. We appreciate that shit. It's for real. Y'all got the best. Eight clicks count. <laughs> <laughs> and that voice that you just heard is our special guest for this week. He is Forbes' own Scott Mendelson. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. It's an absolute pleasure for to be here. Thank you for having me. I am a fan. We're like legit now. We're like a legitimate publication now. <laughs> it does. It does lend us an air of credibility uh, that we probably don't deserve. <laughs> but uh, but uh, Scott, just just for people who may I can't imagine anybody's not familiar with you, but for people who who may not be, uh, where can a uh, where can they find you and b what do you do for Forbes? Uh, I work. I write for Forbes.com. I am their resident. Uh, movie critic, box office pundit, journalist, whatever. Um, obviously, the what I write about has changed a little bit in the last two years, unfortunately. There's just less theatrical releases to comment upon. And yeah, I've, I've tried to dip into streaming here and there, but obviously the hard information that we have at this point is what I would consider evidence of evidence rather than actual evidence. So, you know, it's, it's, it's been challenging in some ways but you know it's 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 when it it comes to theatrical box office that really hasn't changed much i think what we've seen since may of 2021 with the quiet place too is that the movies that were going to be big hits before covid are still doing pretty damn well pretty close to if not in some cases like free guy or godzilla v kong better than they would have done in covid times um but yeah, uh, I'm at Forbes.com, the ticket booth, and I am a film critic, general entertainment journalist, and box office pundit. And and yeah, one of the things I always appreciate about your writing is is unlike a lot of websites that just throw up, you know, box office numbers, you, you really do dig into the nitty gritty. And so I got to imagine the streaming, the lack of data coming from a streaming providers has got to be really frustrating for you since you... you it's incredibly you- frustrating <laughs> for me. <laughs> I, I agree i mean that i i think growing up i don't know if, if you guys but a lot, a lot of people like like there was so little amount of of writing on film and you know because there was no internet that i would just like read the newspaper and i would go to the film section every time and i i'd read you know i'd follow the sort of horse race of the box office 
And uh, and so it it's always nice to see people that like like with your writing that you actually you know analyze some of those facts and and get into it in ways and it's not like a snark fest like uh, you know deadline. Um, so yeah, I, I I really have always enjoyed that. There's another writer um, friend of mine who used to do this similar for Chud was uh, Damon Who, and he's a friend like on social media and he was he wrote something yesterday that he was like I think these Batman numbers to, to talk, to, he said, I think that you can make a case that, uh, you know, th this really hurt money for, you know, other movies like the matrix and, uh, and even Dune. And I was kind of like, I, I don't think so. I think it's apples and oranges. Like I, I think any version of that, that version of a matrix was always going to sink like a stone and the Batman would always have done well, but I, I wanted to hear your opinion on that. Well, it's really complicated. And one of the reasons why the street, you know, what information we have had from streaming has been so flustering is it's so new territory. Nobody knows what this means that you can make either case for any given film or any given TV show. You know, I mean, you know, depending on what, you know, I mean, not to get into the discourse, but, you know, was the Snyder Cut the most watched thing ever or did nobody watch it? I mean, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. A lot of people did watch it. Yeah. Um, it's And for the record, I think it's pretty good. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there. But, you know, it's 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 so my opinion is this. For what I noticed, the extent that we had numbers, and this is mostly Samba TV uh, reporting the you know first 31 days or whatever. Most of the movies that did well on HBO Max for Warner Brothers, at least initially, were the same ones that did well in the box office. Uh, Godzilla v. Kong, obviously. Um, Mortal Kombat's the weird exception to the rule because it didn't, I mean, 85 million worldwide and a 55 budget is objectively bad. You know, absent HBO Max, you would not be talking about a, a sequel here. Um, but it was their most watched movie last year among the Project Popcorn releases. Um, as far as the matrix, it, it was another thing, you know, that was weird about last year was that these films that were in development and being made years before COVID that I was, you know, not to toot my own horns, like, I think this is a bad idea. This is why. And then when they come out and they say, Hey, this did badly. Like, Oh, you know, it doesn't count because of COVID or it doesn't count because of HBO max. It's like, I wrote about the suicide squad doing terrible three years ago. <laughs> it's a good movie. Yeah. And, but, you know, an $180 million R-rated suicide squeakle without Will Smith, without the Joker, without Batman. Fuck. was never, you know, at best, <laughs> at best was going to take a Secret Life of Pets 2 type drop. Um, you know, Secret Life of Pets did 875, second one did uh, 420, which is great on an $80 million budget, by the way. So, you know, at best, you'd be looking at a $400 million total, which the film cost 180, so there'd have been... Nobody would have gotten fired over it, but it wouldn't have been a good result. Um, you know, that's why that's why I love your. You just said those three things, and it was like, of course, it's not going to make as much money. What what the fuck was everyone thinking? Yeah, uh, exactly. And you know, <laughs> my dream job is for the studios to pay me to tell them this beforehand. Right. Right. Well, and you know, no, don't spend two hundred million making another Dark Phoenix movie. General <laughs> audiences don't give a shit that X Men Last Stand wasn't super faithful. Yeah, right. <laughs> Don't kill off Gwen Stacy in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Only the hardcores care about that arc. Everyone else is going to be sad that their favorite character's dead. 
I love too, Scott. One of the things that you you write about frequently too is um, the that especially comes up a lot when we're talking about sequels. It's the sort of I can't remember exactly what you call it, but it's the it's the Laura Croft principle, the Tomb Raider right? trap. Yes, the yes. Tomb Raider trap. Where, yes. where <laughs> I really need to copyright that at some point. <laughs> it, but it you see it time and time again. Highly anticipated movie isn't that good. Much better sequel does much worse numbers because the highly anticipated initial movie so badly turned people off that they're just not interested. Yes. Regardless of whether the sequel's better. And the other thing we've been seeing with sequels, and this is especially for family films, is where you have an, you know an animated picture like the Lego movie or the Angry Birds movie that plays a sort of a four quadrant adults can see it anyway type thing. It's cool enough for teens and parents, whatever. But then the sequel comes out and it's sort of viewed as just a for kids only item. And that's even the case, you know, Angry Birds 2, that was a Tomb Raider trap because that movie was much better than the first one. But the first one wasn't good, so whatever. Lego Movie 2, Lego Movie 1 was terrific. And I'd say the Lego Movie was 2 was about as good, give or take. But uh, uh, Chris Pratt and, and Elizabeth Banks' characters were not marquee characters. I mean, can you name them? <laughs> right. If you can, kudos, but I'm guessing you can't. Um, I can't because it's my job, but that's beside the point. Um, and, you know, for people that, you know, adults that were like, oh, cool, a Lego movie, that's neat. Uh, I call it the folks were only curious the first time effect, which is, you know, pretty much like it, like it says, you know, people were like, oh, a Smurfs live action Smurfs movie. I am interested in that, whatever. But then two years later, the Smurfs 2 comes out. I was like, okay, I didn't want a franchise. I was just curious this first time. <laughs> uh, only once, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. I, I wonder if Uncharted 2 is going to be the next one. Because that one's doing much better than I would have expected. And again, my critical opinion isn't always a general consensus. I mean, hell, I banned The Force Awakens. Um, there's a long list of really, you know, in, all, in some cases, you know, I have to wear two hats. I'm a box office guy and I'm a critic. Right. The reason that I didn't like a given movie is the very reason it does well. The example I always give is the first It movie. And if you liked it, no judgment. Obviously, plenty of people did. But for me, it struck me as a toned down, sanded off, safe, R-rated Stranger Things with clown gore movie that lacked the existential, somber, mournful, whatever of the book and even the miniseries, which I found to be a very, you know, it was one of the reasons that always resonated for me as a kid is it was a very poignant and somber look at growing old and forgetting about childhood and all that, no, whatever. Having said that, it, the movie as it exists commercially, was perfectly pitched as Baby's first R-rated horror film. Right. So it was a gateway drug. It was it was a safe, supernatural R-rated horror film that everyone could enjoy. That's okay. that's fascinating. Yeah, no, that's exactly how rant. that worked. No, no, it was a great rant. It was a great <laughs> yeah, rant, yeah. And, and we can get right into. Uh, oh wait, wait! I just want to say before yeah. one more thing to spook up your ass more, Scott. Is um one of my favorite <laughs> things you love that I love about, appreciate about you that I don't really see honestly most anybody really doing is that um you have such maybe one of the few, if only people who have paid attention to the international box office, specifically in the last few years, where we see the, the rise of Chinese box office, yes. Chinese dominance, you know, and how, how the biggest movies in the world are from China, but nobody in America knows that. But, so that's why I think your analysis is so important. You know, like Wolf Warrior, Four Year Two, uh, Operation Red Sea, all, all, the, all, the, all the Chinese. Uh, you know, I, as a matter of fact, this year, uh, last year, the Battle of Lake Changjin was said to be the biggest movie in the world until Spider-Man yep. came out. 
And I didn't even know that part two was coming out until I saw your article about it, uh, referring to the, the sequel. You're like, and, and I'm the guy who like follows this shit, you know? <laughs> it's, it was like, I think- I'll be honest, I didn't realize it was coming out until like two, three weeks beforehand. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, I, I it was, you know, I, I have a decent relationship with IMAX because- you know, even if the movie sucks, that's not their fault. I still like IMAX screens. Right. Um, so I, I, this, this, you know, I will occasionally drive down to IMAX to see something. And usually something is a foreign language picture that I don't have to, you know, you know again, it's a different thing saying, hey, can I see Star Wars three weeks early at IMAX versus can I drive down to IMAX and see, you know, Detective Chinatown 3? Um, is that, I, is that, is that in Playa Vista? You're going to the, the headquarters? Yes. Yeah, yes. cool. Um, and the thing about China is, and I'm frustrated because like the regular media is like only now coming to the conclusion that I've been worrying about for like 70 years, which, you know, I, I called it a favor back in late 2014 and saw a film called, I think Gone with the Bullets, uh, which was IMAX, China's first IMAX 3D picture. Um, and I wrote that as like, okay, this is going to be a problem because this looks as good as a Hollywood production. Mm. And when you go back, even, you know, Transformers, Age of Extinction and onward, the movies that have done well in China are mostly the same movies that did well in everywhere else. You know, there are very few examples of big, big budget Hollywood pictures that bombed everywhere but China, but did so well in China to actually be a hit. One of the big examples was Triple uh, X, The Return of Xander Cage. Um, and Warcraft, I remember. Did but see, that, did, that wasn't actually a success. But it did I mean, crazy yeah, it numbers in China. Yes, it did. Yeah. Yes, it did. But the funny thing about Warcraft, and this goes, you know, again, disputing conventional wisdom, it wasn't that they liked Warcraft, it's that they all wanted to see Warcraft. It was more front-loaded in China than it was in North America. It was their Batman v Superman. <laughs> um, and you know, it did it, yes, so it's 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 um you're just like well, yeah, you know, incredible wanna, facts are just spitting yeah, out. I'm yeah, loving yeah. it. But one thing because like um, even now that's kind of I think it's kind of um, skewing towards our issue or our the changing of the, the trans modification of streaming because you know, like yeah. they have they have uh, the Wandering Earth came out is on Netflix now and there's going to be a sequel I believe too. So like and I think they're kind of like I, I, that's just a, that's just like maybe an early warning or early sign. Yeah. how they're going to have their streaming battles with us as well so yeah but it's the, the, again the fact that you're kind of been on the beat from the very beginning of this is like so important and I, think you're, you're, I, I had to i when terminator genosis opened big in 2015 in china but again it was very front-loaded so again i was waving the flag saying this doesn't mean they want another one <laughs> um because it did like 113 million off a 23 million opening day that's bad. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. I, 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 I self-tutored I self myself in terms of what movies in China do. And the big pattern that I discovered is that, you know, the, the notion of a Hollywood film becoming a smash because of China or partially because of China is a myth. Even the Transformers films, the only one that got saved by China was Bumblebee, the wow. non-Michael Bay, female-centric family-friendly, mainstream, coming-of-age, you know, fable film. Wow. Which, again, goes to the, you know, and this isn't, you know, pre-COVID, there were many examples of China, Chinese audiences embracing the kind of diverse, inclusive films that everybody claims that China doesn't want. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, China doesn't like Black Panther bullshit. Made 106 <laughs> million in China. That's perfectly fine for a superhero movie. 
Um, and it's, it's, it's Hollywood has been using that excuse for ages. And, you know, it's, let me put it this way. I wish the character of Catwoman in the Batman was as explicitly LBGQ, whatever, as Ruby Rose was in triple X three, a film that made 164 million in China. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we wish all films were as good as Triple X Three. Exactly. I mean, that's... <laughs> that's one of my weird, like, one of those movies that I like more than most people. You're like, no, no I, I wish you're not, not, yeah, not on this podcast. No, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> when Ice Cube comes in, well, I wish it was both. Like, when Ice Cube comes with the gray launcher, like, oh shit, that, I popped so hard for that. That was, like, that was made for me, for my soul. All right, I'm sorry, we're, we're not talking about the Batman anymore, everybody. This has now become a, 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 a return of we're Sander We're now in the Sander zone. <laughs> uh, on that note, sorry. Like, I, 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 is a villain, and she fights Tony John. Not Tony John. Donnie Yen. Donnie Yen, Tony Collette fight yes. is incredible. Yes. <laughs> Getting us back on track. Um, before we get into the Batman, we do have to talk about one big trailer. And I'm, I, I wanted to kind of do some of this box office talk because I'm really, really going to be curious to see what this movie does when it comes out. But the trailer for David Leach's uh, all absolute banger all-star lineup of a cast, Bullet Train, dropped this week. Um, we all obviously watched the trailer. Let me go, Vice. Let me go with you first. What did you think of the Bullet Train trailer? Oh man, it looks so great! It looks. Uh, somebody mentioned, I think, uh, Valley Complex. Uh, one of my one of my friends uh, looks like a smoking aces on the train, which is you know a great vibe to have. Uh, you know, like they, this is a very premise. You know, why has anybody made an action movie called Bullet Train on a train before? It, like, it, it's like it's so so obvious. Is it stupid? You know, but yeah, like you know, I have great cast. Um, and I mentioned before on Twitter, I was like, uh, you know, Brad Pitt is getting up there in age, but I was like, so I well, we have Uncle Denzel, you know. Uncle Denzel Washington's final form as an actor, him in his uh, elder statesman uh, mode. So then you, then you have people like Brad Pitt, all you know, other punks, A-listers back in the day who are still A-listers, but uh, now they're in there. He's in more of his like um, stoner uncle kind of phase, I guess. Whatever. So like he's like or the stoner stepdad. So whatever kind of mojo that Denzel had as, as the old black man, Brad Pitt is doing it for all white guys. Like he's doing it well. So, for, but you know, he looks he looks great for an old guy, but also he can still move. He's always been able. He's always been so physical. He's been so dynamic, present. You know, and that's the thing. People, you don't really think of him as an action hero. I think more than most heartthrob, or just just kind of a a marquee actor. But he has some great action chops. He always had, always has. And then, so you see him in this trailer, still moving as well as he's ever been, with you know some you know pretty hot that cast here. It looks, you know, just like just like this is like a vintage level, or, or you know, uh, uh, it's like a having a. Uh, a vintage wine with a cheeseburger, you know, it's, it's like, it's like it's <laughs> we have all this great talent, but you know, it's just, just for just a nice, fun, kind of crazy looking, crazy looking uh, shoot 'em up. Uh, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to this, you know. Uh, Scott, what did I, I know you wrote a little bit about it, but what did what did you or did, did, did you I, maybe I didn't? I was oh. really, I got caught up that day. I think I did. Uh, I meant to, but um. <laughs> I was surprised by the tone and not knowing what to expect beforehand. I think, and neither criticism nor compliment, I was expecting something a bit more straight, you know, something more atomic blonde and less gunpowder milkshake. Um, now, to be fair, gunpowder milkshake was supposed to be a theatrical release. It was sold to Netflix as part of the pandemic. So, you know, I can't necessarily lump in, oh, a Netflix movie. Um, the tone is very arch. It's very, you know, somewhat over the top and farcical. Uh Obviously, that's hopefully it will work. And I think if it delivers the raw, 
materials, you know, good looking people beating the shit out of each other and killing each other in interesting ways on a train. Yippee skippy. Um, David Leach is a terrific action director, obviously. Um, I think the, the second Deadpool is a bit much better picture than the first one. And he's a big reason why. Um, I think Atomic Blonde is, again, I hate lumping female-driven actors in their own subgenre, but if I were to do such a thing, Atomic Blonde is one of the better ones of the last several years. Um, and it's got a an all you know somewhat all-star cast. I mean, it, I don't know how much normal people know. Well, that's not true. It's you've got Brad Pitt, you've got Joey King. That I assume everyone here watched the Kissing Booth trilogy, right? So you know, I, I, did, not. I did not. Oh, I did. I did. Uh, no, yes, I am. Uh, come on, get up with the young stuff. But anyway, um, you know, it's got Aaron Taylor Johnson, Brian. Drew. Yeah, yeah, you know the cast. So yeah. Michael Shannon's in this. I didn't know that. Did oh, yeah. I see him in the trailer? Yeah, he looks yeah. Like, he's like the uh, copper chef. As opposed Fair to Iron Chef. He yeah. looks like this is wild. He's doing his wild Michael Shannon thing. Um, yeah. oh, I mean, commercially, commercially, I'm hopeful that we'll break out. It, it opens July 15th. Sony moved it to the summer, particularly because they thought it was you know, a viable picture. It cost around 86, allegedly it cost around 86 million. That's always subject to change until release. So it doesn't have to make a gajillion dollars. Um before COVID, I theorized that for a big adult skewing or just non-franchise movie to break out, you needed five elements. Okay. You needed an all-star cast, because one big star isn't enough. You needed a marquee director. You needed an elevator pitch that was easy to explain. You needed decent reviews. And you needed the promise of escapism. You know, this is going to be a fun time at the movies. And I think on paper, this film has all five of those elements, you know, for a Knives Out, a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, a Little Women, um, Baby Driver. Um, so, you know, does that still apply in COVID times? I don't know. The utter failure of Death of the Nile is scary as hell for just that reason. Because Murder on the Orient Express got decent reviews, made $355 million worldwide. Well, Death on the Nile, which I think is a better movie, frankly. Hey, so it's gonna... a Tomb Raider trap. I think that's. I think it was like everyone wanted to see it once. Maybe, and maybe, that's, didn't, it, maybe it wasn't that's a franchise. The optimistic, that's the optimistic way of looking at it. But my only caveat is that it got decent reviews and most people seem to enjoy it. Uh, and again, maybe on a COVID curve, you know, again, my, my thought was that had this come out in late 2019 as intended, or you know, late 2020 without COVID, I think it might have crawled to 250, maybe 225, and it would have been fine. Um, so that's the question: is 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 this just that people didn't care COVID or not, or did Disney's? I don't want to say disinterest because the marketing people, you know, they they did sell the hell out of the movie. They did the work. But that's murder, murder on the Orient Express is also the more iconic title That's and true. story you're absolutely uh, and, right you know that one is, is is if you think of agatha christie it's like the it's the original one that pops in your head and then the death on the nile keep is, telling me why i'm wrong and keep giving me hope it's not keep really going keep going it there. doesn't pop and then you, <laughs> you you know you have that line reading in the trailer maybe that, that just people are like no not this time yeah. uh yeah but uh, uh i i actually that that is that that was what you know my takeaway from the bullet train trailer was just being very hopeful that this actual original action movie, you know, had a chance to really break out. So I'm glad to hear it. And those five elements, everyone, every filmmaker should uh, rewind the podcast and write those down because that's pretty great. Um, 
Yeah, no, I, and just Bryce, where you're talking about Brad Pitt as an action star, uh, I'm I'm a huge Troy fan, and yes. his fighting style as Achilles in that is like oh my God, breathtaking. It was, it, it's absolutely insane uh, the and, amount of work he put in. I, I wanna we're gonna go long today. Fuck it. So like, you know, we had Stefano on the show, you know, a few weeks ago. And, you know, he's expressing how you know his uh, gender uh, identity kind of was grew to movies like sex and movies. I remember I saw Troy. In the theaters, my friend, a female, um, and I made a joke afterwards. I was like, well, "What year was that?" It was like, uh, maybe I was in my teens still. I think it was maybe or early twenties. I forget now. I'm gonna say it's, it's like 2002. Okay, yeah, so wait, like right, like when I was 20 years old. Yeah, and I said, I was like, "Troy, I, summer 2004." Okay, 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 so yeah, yeah, close enough. Yeah, so I said to my friend, like, "Wow, that was like super gay." Like, but like I meant it as a compliment because I was like, I had never really imagined seeing a, I had never seen a such a beautifully nude man fight so well before in a movie you know so i was i was really taken back i was like really i was starstruck and she was like she kind of you know like took it as defense because i was like you know it, it, it felt like i was making a joke about you know homosexuality but like yeah like i heard that him specifically like you know there's always we always straight men always joke about you know oh you have a question this guy the action hero guys and like sort of like whatever like you know like he's a beautiful man and he and the art of action as, as we speak about it he's a he's an adonis he's he moves the way so expressively the way you want like this like the final sword stroke to hector like it's beautiful yes. and yeah, like no, this, this, they thought about it too like it was yeah. so well thought out of like this yeah. is the way he fights and it and and they they went like, through like historical references but then yeah. added all these new moves the sidestep bang yeah into the back of the trap i i love that shit yeah. so well, yeah it's, it's just yeah it's, it's like very much a film that plays in the female stereotypical female gaze yeah. Um, but but, so, but what I mean is like I think it also, in some strange way, kind of helps open that spectrum of of sexuality. Also, uh, it sounds crazy. I'm saying that, but like you know, we, we have we no. we said crazy things. You know, like uh, so again, that's why like I'm I appreciating him seeing him grow as an actor as, as a presence in the film, especially now in, in these times where we we we're the we're so sensitive or keen to these various types of representation and identity. But he's just he's just, he's just being himself, man. And like that's 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 so cool that he beat himself is kind of opening people's that too. It's, 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 it's well, I, I was talking to my wife actually about this last night, Vice. So it was just like I, I noticed a lot of um, our different friends on Action Twitter, and they're they're guys that are either married or have girlfriends, and they're in their twenties, and they just identify as bi. And I'm like, that would just never have happened with the the amount of dudes that do that like when I was in my twenties, you know, yeah. and it, it's cool to see everybody just kind of be like comfortable and, uh, and becoming more themselves. Yeah. yeah. Is, is that a Brad Pitt, man? Let's do it. Let's get it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the thing for me with, well, first with Brad Pitt, like also shout out another great action scene that he's in the fight that he and Angelina Jolie have in Mr. And Mrs. Mm. Smith is just, mm, just chef's kiss as far as a fight goes. Um, and again, same thing. He moves He moves in such a unique, interesting... He's kind of like Keanu in that regard. They move in such interesting ways in their action scenes. But I've always argued, and I'm not the only person that's argued this, that Brad Pitt is like the weirdest friggin' character actor on the face of the earth, trapped, cursed by being this Adonis, right? Like he is, he is just weird and strange and wants to just do weird stuff. And he looks like that. And I love that he's managed to carve out this career where he gets to do that. 
And, and honestly, the most of the movies of his that don't work are the ones where he just has to play bland, boring, leading man. I mean, those are the ones uh, where they just kind of don't work. And here he looks like he's going all in. Uh, the other thing for me that I think looks interesting about this is uh, going a little farther down in the cast list for action fans. I mean, we're already talking an 8711 movie, and this is a proper 87 North movie. This is in-house 87 North, um, not them being farmed out to somebody. Uh, so I expect everything in this to be kind of top level John Wick level quality the, the action doesn't look like john wick action but i expect it to be that level of quality um and it's got yeah it's got freaking andrew koji in it uh oh showing God, I can't it's, wait. Got, it's got karen fukahara for who played katana in the suicide yeah. squad farther that's down it's that's got the you. man that tricked me into thinking snake eyes was good actually <laughs> <laughs> curse you andrew <laughs> We got Yoshi Sudarsu, who's one of my favorite uh, up and coming actors and, yeah. and action stars in it. So Yoshi, like, Yoshi's a good friend of mine. And I'm actually been trying to do a project with him, like homegrown ourselves. And uh, and so, yeah, he's a great guy. And uh, if you don't follow him, um, you should. He's, he's, he's a good social media presence. Positive dude. Yeah, he's he's great. He uh, I, I first discovered him because of Brian Sloyer, um, who people if you go back in the archives, I've got a big interview episode that I did with Brian Sloyer where we actually talk about Yoshi a bit. Um, but I the, the one thing that I did notice, I saw somebody on Twitter comment how weird it was that this says from the director of Deadpool 2 as opposed to John Wick. And I'm like, okay, well, one, it's definitely much more in the Deadpool 2 wheelhouse just based on the trailer. But two, one of those movies made like $800 million worldwide and one yes. of them made like... 70 million worldwide and you can't really you can't really pick john wick three because leech wasn't part of that so if you're gonna pimp yeah. a david leech movie deadpool 2 kind of seems like the one you should do which i just i thought that was a really weird thing for somebody to say yeah. like you know when you uh, advertise a new tim burton movie you don't say from the director of big fish and dark shadows <laughs> <laughs> although i love big fish but that's another conversation yeah 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 <laughs> all its movies with the title big are some of his best films. Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Big Eyes, Big Fish, Batman's Big Return, all of his best movies. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't want to derail the podcast, but there was just this one little part that you said, Mike, about the character actor and the bland leading man thing about Brad Pitt. And I immediately thought of our, uh, our other namesake star, Scott Atkins. Like, his actual best roles, like are the most iconic ones in Avengement and Boyka, are much more like character, uh, quirky characters, and in some of the more you know a little bit plain ones, where it's just like just be a guy, just be action guy, and uh, and so yeah, it's like he's he's like this amazing character actor who's stuck in this uh, you know perfect action man body, but like you got to <laughs> give him these 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 crazy quirks, and it and it and it really opens up a whole other dimension. People were like kind of, oh, sorry, I'm sorry. they were going to fan cast him for uh, Craven the Hunter, you know, like, uh, which is, you know, fan cast is going to fan cast, but like, that's, you're right, like, he he has, like, he needs to do, like, that kind of wild stuff like that, you know, to leave it. Yeah. That's out of him. I think that goes to, without getting one of my stump speeches, I think the problem with, with you know, the last 20 years of movie stardom, which is that Hollywood took every, you know, vaguely handsome white guy and tried to make him the next Tom Cruise. <laughs> 
A, they're not all the next Tom Cruise or the next Brad Pitt or the next Hugh Jackman. And they kept casting them in, you know, big budget fantasy films where they were bland leading men. What was Tom Cruise's only flop up until, I don't know, a couple of years ago? Legend. Right. So you're taking these wannabe Tom Cruises, but you keep not giving them Jerry Maguire, risky business and top cut. Jesus wonder, Christ! Why? I, if I had a studio, you'd be my. You know, <laughs> I, I'd hire you right away. This is just like such a great point because it was, and, and a lot of them are good. Like I like uh, Garrett yeah. Hedlund. I like Charlie Hunnam. And anything but else, they've, they've been just continually foisted into the the role that is like, you know, like a bitter son who doesn't want to go on the adventure. And you're like, yes. that's the worst fucking lead character ever. Why do we keep doing that one? I mean, yeah. even, you know, not to jump on the snake eyes again, but, you know, all this talk about how uh, Henry Golding would make a great 007 after people saw Crazy Rich Asians, A Simple Favor, and The Gentleman, that talk kind of stopped after Snake Eyes because he was boring as a buttered toast in that movie. <laughs> um, that well, it's because the, the camera was in the wrong place on every fucking shot. So <laughs> Minor detail. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's like someone like Liam Hemsworth, who's sort of the go-to guy for why the hell is this guy a star? But you see him in a supporting role in something like Isn't It Romantic or The Dressmaker, and he's he's charming as hell. You know, I liked him in uh, in Clark Duke's Arkansas. If you haven't seen yeah. that, it's a little VOD. Yeah. It yes, feels like one of those movies that would have came out after Pulp Fiction. He has to hold his own against you know, Malkovich. And, but he also has a weird accent, and yeah. he gets a little bit of a character, and they're not just like B default white man yes. for Independence Day too. It's, it's exactly yeah. it's 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 a it's an old school movie, and that's yeah. how these stars were made back in the day. You know, Kevin Costner didn't become a star because he kept making Robin Hood over and over again. <laughs> Um, and I like Robin Hood. But again, I, I kind of do too. Uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a Kevin Reynolds fan. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so I think that we're all excited for Bullet Train, and uh, and especially hopeful that uh, you know an original, uh, an actually original movie can uh, can can succeed. And now we will talk about uh, the the exact opposite, <laughs> right? Uh, what I don't know the twentieth iteration of this character, um, and it it continues to clean up at the box office. Um, Scott, why don't we start with you on uh, the Batman? Really, really quickly, and before we kick it over to Scott, just for everybody listening, we are going to spoil the shit out of this. So if you have not, Bruce Wayne is Batman. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, His parents were killed. <laughs> 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 we figure that most people have seen it uh and if you haven't you know you can always come back later uh i we were talking off mic and, and scott is he he brought this up i mean the reality is there's literally nothing in this movie that is surprising in any way shape or form I, which isn't a, it's not a criticism necessarily it's just it is what it is it's a fucking batman movie like you you, you it is what it says on the tin so we figure there's no reason to avoid spoilers we need to get into them to talk about what we do and don't like about the movie um so yeah so with that there's your fair warning scott i know your mentions went straight to hell once you posted your review on monday uh but so just kind of quick give us a, a quick overview and i'll link your review in the show notes but give us a quick overview what you thought of it thanks no um <laughs> no I, i've seen the film twice i went on opening day with my daughter who wasn't all that interested but getting out of school early was enough of an enticement i figured it was demographic research um and I, frankly, it did not play better the second time. If anything, 
A, it's it's too long. It's a very long movie that is as long as it is because the storytelling and the character interaction feels like moving at half speed. Uh, I read somewhere that it felt like the entire film was taking place with people walking underwater. And that actually feels, I like that. I wish I had thought of that. Um, if I'm being generous, then I would argue that Robert Pattinson, who is usually a very fun and interesting actor, including in the Twilight films, not everybody can do that. Um, if I'm generous, I will argue that he was playing Bruce Wayne as vaguely on the spectrum and that he was constantly working through every interaction, every response, every on-screen, off-screen incident, and thus, you know, we had lots of meaningful pauses, and, and, and it just, it, the film, because almost every single scene in the film takes place from his point of view, that, that, that mindset and that, you know, pace is the movie in general. What you lose there is tension and suspense, mm-hmm. because there are scenes that you know, and we know this because there's a lot of scenes that you've seen in other Batman movies. That's my other big issue. But with, you know, in The Dark Knight, when the bad guy straps a bomb to an innocent civilian or whatever and plots to kill somebody, it's rolling, you know, oh my God, is he going to make it? Oh my God, oh my God. In this film, it's like, first, you you know, I'm, I'm referring to a scene where a, a character is kidnapped at a church and had a bomb strapped to his neck. And the way it plays out in this film, the car shows up. He gets out. The phone rings for like five minutes. Batman shows up. Batman eventually realizes that he needs to answer the phone. He talks to the Riddler. The Riddler eventually says, you're going to do three riddles or else. We go through all three of the riddles. And then the guy blows up. <laughs> and it is unfortunate that what, what I assume on papers were the centerpieces of the film is the best possible moment to go to the bathroom. Because unless unless you're taking a very large bathroom usage, you're going to get done before the end of that scene. Um, but <laughs> uh, no, no, I, I, I'm with you on um, on some of this. I think I like it. Oh, I know I liked it more than you. I know I liked it more a lot than of Mike. Did, and that's fine. But um, um, I do. I my my kind of takeaway when I said like, oh, I came out of the movie and my eyes were like adjusting to the light again, because it's also a, a very dark movie for that long duration. Yes. And, and, and there's a repetitiveness to the score. There's a repetitiveness to the scene. So there's this sort of like hypnotic droning that you get. Like I had the, and, and the score is almost like a palindrome of the Nirvana song. So it's, it all kind of like, does this this background humming that I had in my ears for like the rest of the day? So there was like this this certain feeling of like wooziness when I came out of the movie. Um, but it, it it and then people were saying, oh, it's, it, I'm like, it's not that it's that long though. Like JFK is a longer movie and it feels like half the length. It, it's the pacing and it is yeah. like you're saying. There's a, the deliberateness of it is does feel more. Uh, at home at, as an HBO Max movie, to be honest with you. It does feel like it will play better um, in my living room than than going to see that in the theater a second and time. Honestly, I think, and this is total speculation, you know, this is the kind of question they wouldn't give me an honest answer to anyway, so I don't ask them. But I do think the reason it was allowed to be three hours is through a certain mindset that, hey, most people are going to watch this on HBO Max anyway. It's not, 
you know, it's only going to do so much damage, the extent it'll do damage to all theatrical. And Warner Brothers gets to say, hey, look, we are a filmmaker-driven studio after all. We're giving this guy $180 million to make a three-hour Batman movie with no connective tissue to anything else and something that's even darker and grittier than the Nolan films. Um, I think it, it helps their post-Snyder narrative as being a more filmmaker-friendly studio. That's so fucking interesting because I could not wrap my head around like from I mean, it's just weird in general to be like from my side of, of the business, like scratching and clawing for every minute to get into a, like the yeah. movie. And it, there's just every project I'm on, there's constant pressure to cut pages, cut action scenes, cut the schedule, make it as bare minimum of a fucking movie as possible in the, the DTV world. Like that's that's the constant pressure on our necks. So then to go and be like, wait a minute, but like no one actually even wants the movie to be this long. What, how, how is this happening? Like there's so much money, <laughs> and there's so much money to be made. And even though it's made so much money, which is crazy, like I think most people, it still probably would have made more if it was shorter. And so mm -hmm. I, I'm just like, you know, a credit to the artist for, for getting his full unfiltered vision. It does feel like an extended cut. It does. And I would have liked to have seen the two hour, 30 minute cut in the theater and then watch this one at home and go, oh, that's cool. I'm, I'm glad to see that scene where he like, you know, Mosey's on over here and Mosey's on over there, but it didn't need to be in the movie. Yeah. And, you know, too much of it, to me at least, felt like a mix and match of stuff we've already seen in the prior Batman franchises. Um, and part of this, you know, I try not to hold the movie's marketing against it because the marketing, especially for these reboots and whatever, tend to bank on cultural amnesia. Oh, this amazing Spider-Man's a romance, totally unlike Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. You know, or, you know, this Jamie Lee Curtis Halloween sequel is about trauma, totally unlike Halloween H2O. Um and they get away with it every time because no one wants to go, ah, this is bullshit. Because um, then you don't get the juicy quote. Um, let's, but let's, there was a lot of, oh, he's a detective this time. Does detective work in all the movies? And I think you know, watching it a second time, my issue with the detective story is that he wasn't investigating. He wasn't following clues. He was following a literal you know, piece of you know, line of breadcrumbs that the bad guy was leaving for him to discover to go directly from line A to line B to line C to come to exactly the conclusion he wanted him to. And exactly, you know, it just, it was, he could have just stayed in bed. His, his investigative work did nothing to prevent the big grand plan from coming to form. Well, it, nothing he does. And then Vice, I'm going to kick it over to you. I just want to say this one point yeah. really quick. Nothing he does is I thought nearly as cool as him reconstructing the fingerprint from yeah. the bullet in the dark night. Like, like everybody's yeah. like, Oh, I want to see him be the world's great. That's the fucking world's greatest detective yeah. working right there. I can't there. do that. Yeah. Like I can solve a riddle. I can't <laughs> do that. Yeah. Um, Vice, I know you, you tweeted out that you, you actually liked it better than I think certainly better than Scott and I did. Um, you know, Scott and I are, are going to be kind of on an Island alone on this one, I think, but uh, hit us up with your thoughts on it. It's more Batman. It's like uh it's like what what you what do y'all want? It's like not y'all, not YouTube, but like I mean, what is what does the world want? It's the same shit that we've seen 20 times, but just like it's like done like fresher, which is like now I say that because this is it might sound dumb from a guy like me who watches the same old DTVX movies over and over with the same plots, you know. You you took my daughter, prepare to die, you know. That's we all know what's gonna happen in the Batman movie. And so those parts that happened, I kind of just like, okay, whatever. Um, I was, I did appreciate the twist and turns they tried to do, 
Me too, um, yeah. Although I do think it ultimately, it ultimately um, a pulled punch. So here, yes. so I'll get to one big. So one of the big spoilers here is that um, Thomas Wayne is not not the benevolent man that he usually usually is. The saint he usually is in all the other movies. He was like uh, com- complicit with the crime families and uh, and all the politicians, you know. And um, people were kind of joking about how it's, the, it's like the uh, like the A cab or the uh, or the uh, communist Batman because you know it's like addressing this like how white guys are corrupt. Well, you know, that's just like that's that makes makes sense. It's life. He's a he's a rich man. He has these criminals here. That's this is what happened. It's not. Oh, I'll say this before with you. Like any kind of overt or subtextual like um, metaphor or allegory you could try to make with Batman, like it doesn't fucking matter. It's a guy in, a, in his underwear in a gym suit, <laughs> trying to try to like you, you, you. At this point, any kind of allegory that you're trying to make it made through a Batman film has been made. If you try to do it now, it doesn't make any sense. They use real life uh, details to enhance it, but it doesn't make sense. So, uh, so, back, so back to my main point. The first point is that um, so they make his his past as like the the, the scion of the rich white you know founders, you know, not very good. And that's it's interesting. For, it's, it, it makes sense for this world they built, but then it's kind of like at the end, like oh, but he's but Thomas Wayne is still a good man, you know. Like I feel like it would have been better if like you know like him as Batman and Bruce Wayne were like. The righteous kind of uh, sever it, or the his actual fight wasn't just with the criminals, but with, with his own legacy as the guy who fucked up Gotham, you know. But they just kind of like leave it pull up at the last second, you know. So no, it's it's the, the gangsters' fault. It's really just their fault. The gangsters and the cops. Your, your dad's okay. Um, and they also don't establish the dad as a character whatsoever. Which yeah. I mean, I didn't I didn't need to see him get killed again. But yeah, comparatively yeah. to like if, if this were part three <laughs> in the I, if this were part three in the the Nolan trilogy, that twist would have been amazing. Yeah. That because because you know Thomas Knight is set up as as like a literal fucking angel in in the Nolan movies. Uh, for him to actually have corruption on him in in that setting with all of that emotional you know preloaded in, it would have been like oh my god. I think that would have really put that character in a spiral. But because it's really just our own baggage from all the other versions that they're playing on. I mean, that's that's kind of my my overall criticism, too, is that like I don't I never got too high or too low. I, I was talking to Mike about this. It's like it's the old Billy Wilder thing. Like there's no bad scenes in the movie. And I think yeah. that's why it, there's no like, fuck this movie. That shit's eye rolling. That shit sucks. Like it, it's all really well made and really good, but it's very mid level. And I never got very excited. I never got super bored. I was just kind of in this this middle zone throughout yeah. the whole movie. And so I was like, I get you know, it's like I was tweeting about Begins and people are like, oh, my God, when he's when Gary Oldman says I got to get me one of those, it's the worst moment of the whole trilogy. And I'm like, first of all, you're a fucking nerd. And second of all, it's like, it, it, like you know, you got to take some swings. The whole point is you got to entertain people. Like sometimes there's some funny one liners here and there. And at the time, Begins was criticized so badly as being humorless. And this movie literally has no jokes. There's not a single like they're, they're like Colin Farrell's having funny. some fun. But like, yeah, there yeah. is just no, there's, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's it's there are. I I think like the, frankly, like the Snyder pictures. I think the humor is very macabre and very you know, and that's okay. But you know, it's it's you know, the Nolan you know the Nolan pictures are very droll. I think they're very funny. I think I, I think they're very funny. I think I Morgan Freeman and Michael Caine are a winning comic duo in those pictures. Um. 
and obviously the Joker is funny in a skewed way. Um, and then, you know, the Burton films are, are you know, macabre camp, whatever you want to, you know, it's, it's, you know, they're funny films. It's, you know, but ah, I, I'm the world's I first think, fully functional homicidal oh, yeah. artist. I mean, that's a fantastic. I, I think in right a skewed way, the reputation of those films, especially when they first came out, was, oh, they're so dark, they're so grim, they're so serious, you know, time's a flat circle, um, <laughs> that, you know, what they really were, and I love them, is that they were just ultra-violent camp. And that's good. It's, it's yes. fine. Uh, right. I think for this film, and this is touching on something you said or hinted at, is that it depends far too much with our emotional connection and our automatic engagement with the Batman mythology and, you know, it's like, okay, we know who Catwoman is. So we fill in the blanks. We know who the Penguin is. We fill in the blanks. You know, for, you know, I've always felt that if Batman Returns wasn't based on the most popular characters on Earth, it would be seen as this pop art, art house indie Hollywood masterpiece because it's such a bonkers bananas movie. Conversely, if this film wasn't based on as well known of a superhero, I don't think they're all due respect. I don't think the buzz and reviews would be anywhere near as, as, Overjoyous. It'd be called. Think, it'd be called a cheap saw seven ripoff, which is yes, absolutely. And I think you know, seven years ago when we first started really talking about the whole comic book as sort of appropriating a genre thing, you know, whether it started with you know the Dark Knight or you know, hell, the Punisher, the Dolph Lundgren one, which basically is a straight up eighties action picture based on a comic book or Blade or whatever. Anyway, that's a longer conversation. But I think we've unfortunately we've moved from comic book movies appropriating genre as a way to distinguish themselves from each other and a way to. You know, so they say, hey, Neith, they're making a comic book movie that's like a thriller or like a like a teen coming of age story to basically replacing the genuine article right. to where people's like, oh, wow, the Batman is a somewhat OK, I guess, for what it is, serial killer thriller. Well, OK, but you're not watching the genuine article anymore. So it's it's sort of like they're they're getting away with making a half-hearted variation of the real thing, betting on an audience that doesn't see the real thing, that will mistake it for for the genuine article. You know, Black Widow is a perfect example. You know that's a film that is an inferior example of the kind of films that it tries to emulate, and it's absolutely banking on a younger audience that has not seen point of no return or atomic blonde or, or even some of the jason Bourne pictures so to them it's amazing yeah. you know if you have a giant global audience that hasn't seen taxi driver or uh, king of comedy or observe and report to you jokers oh my god i've never seen a movie like this before yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a famous uh, letterbox review i think it's uh someone said uh if you've never seen the ocean of course a pool seems deep so yeah uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm grouchier about these films than maybe I was even a few years ago before they were basically monopolizing the blockbuster marketplace and supplementing basically almost every other kind of movie in theatrical existence and using the fact that there'll be an entire generation or two that grew up just consuming this stuff yeah. as a way to make those films seem and look better to an audience that only watches these four quadrant, you know, action fantasy blockbuster pictures. But, but whose fault is that really? Because oh, it's the it's, audience's fault. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's not really the, the filmmaker's no. fault and it's not even the movie's fault itself. Like, like, you know, I just go back to when, 
Marvel started and it was like this bootleg thing down in Raleigh Studios, Manhattan Beach. And, you know, I went there and met with them for Iron Man 2. And it was like five people around the table. They were just trying to make the next Iron Man movie. And then it's like the audience left all those other things. You can't really yes. blame oh, that. I absolutely at the blame same audiences. time, I'm like, <laughs> it's also the studios itself, right? Because, because they became like Hollywood was... It, it, it was a family business up until like the eighties. And then it became yeah. this sort of like IPO wall street business. And that's really where they abandoned all of these like tried and true principles about showbiz. People are like, they're carny folk. And we like have these different entertainment rules that we believe in. And, but they, they all of a sudden it all just became about money and it wasn't about balancing things anymore. And what will also happen, and again, not to get into a stump speech again, but around late 2015, early 2016, or maybe sooner, because you're more inside baseball than I am, the theatrical potential of the theatrical programmer, the star-driven, adult-skewing eye concept, just a movie, just dropped through the floor. Because the audience, the general moviegoers that used to see a movie just to see a movie, or saw the tentpoles and saw just a movie, they gravitated to streaming almost overnight. So that's what studios have been struggling with for the last six or seven years is that, you know, I, you know, not to pick on him, but I'm sure Sean Bailey at Disney would love to make money with a wrinkle in time and McCarlin USA and the Lion King in Star Wars. Yes. Unfortunately, the market has created a situation where, you know, XYZ is no longer financially feasible, even on Disney Plus, unfortunately, because they get most of their viewership from the Disney Marvel stuff. Right. So the idea that, Disney Plus was going to be this great savior of, you know, the small scale Disney movie, unfortunately, hasn't come to pass. Um, and again, I blame the audience. <laughs> yeah. the, stuff's, well, no, the stuff's there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, it's I mean, fascinating. Um, it's incredibly frustrating over the last several years when Hollywood was finally pulling its head out of its ass and making more inclusive star vehicles, but nobody was showing up. Because unfortunately, it's all about marquee characters. So everybody shows up to Black Panther, but nobody shows up to 21 Bridges until it gets to Netflix and then everybody watches it. And then they wonder why does Hollywood make more movies like this? <laughs> um, you know, uh, I, before I, I just want to go to Mike because I know we, you know, sorry. Yeah, no, 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 you guys, you guys. Mike, <laughs> I want to get, I wanted to get your, your thoughts and then um, we'll go back to Vice and I, I want to say some nice things about the movie because I feel oh, like, yeah, there know, are, yes. we'll, we'll, we'll drag, I, we've dragged it through the mud. I want to, I want to well, back and, up. And I think that'll be good, you know, bury me in the middle here because yes. I, <laughs> I have nothing nice to say about this movie. Uh, <laughs> I I am look, I, I'm of two minds here of of do I just do I just grade this as a movie or do I do I grade this as like the five thousand three hundred and thirty second fucking gritty Batman movie that we've gotten? Uh and and, and I, for me, I can't separate the two. I'm not trying to be a comic nerd about this here, but the reality is I am a comic nerd and 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 it's not even that, that I'm like Oh, not hashtag, not my Batman. It's just, I have a wealth of Batman knowledge and every single thing this movie tries to do. There is some other Batman media out there that does it better. Uh, uh, you know, the, the underground corruption in Gotham, 
Court of Owls, Scott Snyder's Court of Owls does it better. Um, the fucking Telltale Batman game does Thomas Wayne sucks actually better mm. than this movie does. Mm. Um, young Batman, year one, Scott Snyder's zero year, which is literally what this movie is. It's the Riddler taking over Gotham using yeah. a, a kind of a giant catastrophe, only instead of it being shot through mud, it's got a shirtless or a, like a tank top Batman on a motorcycle punching a fucking lion. And, <laughs> and that the thing for me with this is we have had 500 gritty Batmans. Batman has been around for more than 80 years. And there are so many interesting Batman stories to tell that aren't gritty dude who punches people. Um, mm-hmm. And that was what was really starting to frustrate me with this one is, is that, you know, this hate, you know, and I was tweeting about this a little bit, this, this absolute hate that the live action movies have for Robin and Nightwing and Batgirl, Mm -hmm. the whole Bat family, which is just as important to who Batman is as the Waynes getting murdered is, is something that is just, it, it, it has reached peak level of frustration for me with this, with this movie. Mm-hmm. I realize I am being excessive in my dislike of this movie because it is competent. It is well done. Matt Reeves is a terrific director. I mean, the, the apes trilogy just kicks all sorts of ass. Fuck Matt Reeves wrote under siege Two, which is an awesome movie. <laughs> like, yes, it is. <laughs> like, like I got, I got no hate for Matt. Reeves. I had no idea that he wrote under siege Two. That just yeah, fucking he, blew my mind. Yeah. Um, what? I, I got no hate for Matt Reeves. Um, objectively looking at the movie, trying to view it as a movie, I still think uh, you guys all mentioned it's too long. I don't like how it's shot. Everybody's talking about how beautiful it is. Now, part of that, I am going to watch the movie again when it hits HBO Max because I am willing to chalk some of that up to my theater just way under lighting. Yeah, projection. sure. sure. Um, you know, so I am going to give the movie another shot at home. And I think it'll probably play better at home, like you said, Liam. It's going to play great at home, yeah. Um, but I do think there is one giant problem, actual problem with the movie itself, not just what I want out of a Batman movie, which is... Our main villain, uh, to uh, use uh, Vice Victus's trademark, spends the entire movie at his most just finished beating off. Like, like <laughs> all the, you know, so fucking sweaty and <laughs> throughout this entire movie that he is just he is just a, a, a fucking black hole in the center of this movie for me that I, I couldn't take him seriously as the Riddler at all in this because he is going somewhere i don't know where all i kept thinking was i'm glad they got Totoro and i'm glad they got feral because at least there are some other antagonists that are in this movie that are interesting and Totoro's actually fucking great he's terrific it. yeah he's great. the one actor that i think is in the movie that this everyone else thinks they're making yeah yeah can he, we that, talk about the feral thing for a second because I, I just if he's great kind. he's having fun but I, I, I really just someone asked to tell me what the fucking point is. Like, I just like, why is he stealing money off of Brendan Gleeson's, you know, table? Like, why? <laughs> I don't understand this. Yeah, I mean, he looks exactly like beat up, you know, the worst possible version of Richard Kind. Yeah, like, hire Richard Kind. He's great. You don't get to be that good looking and take yeah. these roles. That's just not fair. I, I don't, I, I, I don't even understand how the idea comes into someone's head. I just. I don't know why he wanted to do it. I don't know why they wanted to do it. I I, I can't argue with the results because I did think he was uh, he was having more fun than anyone else yeah. in the movie. But I still just don't quite get what the point of it was. 
if I were a cynical bastard, and I am, I think it was, A, he's a good actor. They like working with him. They know he'll do a good job. But having a guy like that as the Penguin will create more free media attention than either casting a character actor as the Penguin or casting Colin Farrell as a conventionally handsome man. Yeah, yeah. Um, And if I were really cynical, (laughs) I might argue that, and this goes back to one of my issues with the film, the film is paced in a way as if they expect people to be watching it on HBO Max while playing on their cell phones. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, 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 let's trash it some more because this is some garbage here. So like, uh, Selena's great. Uh, you know, um, Zoe Kravitz always radiant, you know, um, wonderful in Kimmy that we saw, you know, Soderbergh. Yo, look, Kimmy could have solved the Riddler's Riddle in 89 minutes. And, and yes. For good. She could, she could, she could without have leaving movie. her house, man. Without yeah. leaving her house. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, but so in the, but the film is okay. You know, she's just great. She's um playing Selena as a, a you know, she's not quite as selfish. You know, she's more altruistic in a way. But you know, it's uh she's still she's still from the streets. Um, but one of the things that that was that was kind of funny to me is you know everybody's like, they her and Robert have such great chemistry. It's like this is a I heard somebody this is the horniest Batman ever. But fucking Rob Pattinson is playing um Bruce Wayne. Like a guy who had literally never seen pussy before. He's like, he's like an incel. Like he's, he's so like, awkward when he kisses. When he first sees so he's like, he's like, he's like. Remember, remember um, Blake Man, David Wayne's as like, in yeah. the scene where uh, <laughs> oh, scene shit. where Blake Man meets the, the the damsel, and he has an orgasm because he's never touched a woman before. He gets he comes. <laughs> it's what he looks like in his movie. Rob Patterson looks like fucking Blake Man, getting his nut off from because 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 Zoe Kravitz is so hot. And to be fair, I have in fact seen Zoe Kravitz. In real life, one time I used to work at the draft house in the, in Brooklyn, and I saw her come to the to theater one time. She was just you know, see whatever. I didn't immediately recognize her. I didn't know who it was at the time. I just stopped in my tracks because I'm like, this is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. Like, <laughs> yeah, she, she she really does glow in real life. So I, I get it. I get it. You know, I'm not, I'm not you know I'm not blaming her, but like they, when people are saying this is the horniest, you know, also since she was sexual. Have you fucking... seen a Joel Schumacher Batman movie? <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, that's what they're known for is their horniness. Yeah. I mean, Batman Returns was so horny, it basically changed Hollywood's approach to PT-13 blockbusters yeah. in a bad way. Yeah, and so, like, I think it maybe goes to your point, I said that you mentioned that, I, 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 now I'm, I pick up one, they try and, these movies are, like, replacing the genuine article, in a way, like, the, yeah. this is not, this is not an erotic thriller. This yeah. is, they just have really hot people who have to be playing in costumes and, and leather, leather, you know, SM gear doing this stuff. It's not that kind of fucking movie. Yeah, someone was saying it's like, oh, this is the most sex positive blockbuster in a while. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? There's no fucking like, like he slut shames her first of all, and, and then she kind of tells him like, you're you're a dick, and he's like, yeah, my bad. So I don't know, I don't get how that's like changing the politics of, of all of that, but. I, I will say, except, except for the fact that I don't want to know what the Riddler's costume looked like when Paul Dano was done at the end of the show. <laughs> oh my God. I, I can smell it. That's where this, all the, dry, the dried up using that mask. Yeah, I will man. say, in the realm of saying something nice, I really like Paul Dano's big climactic scene when he's unmasked. I yes. think that's for me where the movie should have ended. I mean, without going to the you know, movie I had in my head, because that's not fair. As, 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 Slow. I, I was ready for it to end there too. Yeah. I was you ready. Have a was... two-hour movie that ends yeah. there. The Riddler has killed the people he wanted to kill. He's confronting Batman. He 
you know, he spews this entire thing about this horrible story about growing up in the orphanage. Batman realizes, oh my God, I'm, you know, I need to do more good as Bruce Wayne. I need to be a symbol of hope. I, this Punching bad guys isn't enough. He leaves. He calls the new mayor. Let's have a meeting. That's the end of the movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> if it was willing to have the courage to really be a drama and not be a big budgets blockbustery spectacular that's what the movie would have been but instead you spend an extra half hour on this completely gratuitous generic blockbuster spectacle sequence so he can learn not the specific bruce wayne needs to be a better person for the people of gotham moral but this generic oh batman's got to be a symbol of hope like i knew that (laughs) and that that part did work for me at the end like i did think him like that it, it, it and it also gave me hope if they do make another one which i think from this yeah. box office they will that we that it, it at least is going to have its mind on something else and uh you know it, it got the i am vengeance out of its system um but uh mike what did you want to say and then i'm going to try to to spin yeah. the nice stuff here i was just going to say it, he literally quotes a line from the intro of arrow like this is a $200 million three hour episode. Oh, of I'm Arrow. stuck on an island. <laughs> like, like, oh, wait, no, no, the other one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, like when he's. I'm just uh, trying to protect you. No, wait, the other one. <laughs> Sorry. This is, no, you're good. But this is so much Arrow, so completely mm-hmm. Arrow that I kept expecting Pattinson to at some point say, You have failed this city. <laughs> but when he, when, he, when he says at the end of the movie, I have to be something better, like four seasons of Arrow open with Oliver Queen saying, um, I um, have to um, be something um, better. Um, like, yeah ah all right i'm done i'm done liam okay so so here so uh, you know when i came out of it um well first of all i do just want to say i I, going with my 12 year old i had to drag him because he does not like batman for whatever reason he likes marvel and he said to me oh great i gotta go see a movie about an iron man ripoff who dresses like a furry and i was like jesus christ kid where the fuck did you get that <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm like, well, like, history-wise, Batman came first. Show a little respect, you know. I tried to give him a little bit of a lesson, uh, and then we come out of it, and he's like, um, you know, I, I like the Riddler a lot. I liked him better than Batman. He's a cool villain. I, I, he's like, I like that whole idea, but you know, I just don't like Batman that much. And I couldn't even get him to watch Begins. Um, but a- after I saw Begins, which I, I had a kind of blew my mind in 2015, which I saw at the same theater and uh, which was kind of cool. Uh, I remember loving it, but also feeling conflicted about certain things. And I rushed home and watched Burton's Batman, which was like the first movie I remember like seeing with my dad and, 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 and just kind of having my mind blown in a theater. And I remember it had that like the movie of the decade. And when you're, you know, seven years old, I thought that was like a definitive statement. I didn't think that was an opinion. I thought like, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is the movie of the decade. Like that, it should be treated as such. Um, and so the first Batman Burton's was just like this huge movie for me that I'd watch over and over and again on uh, VHS. So I remember going back after Begins and watching Burton's and it's almost like feeling like, like, okay, it's still there. You know, the thing I loved is still there. And then I could go back and watch Begins again. And I liked it more. And so I was kind of came out of the Batman a little bit, man, like, man, that, that pacing and, 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 you know, more mixed on it, but still saying it was pretty good. Like I gave it four stars on letterbox. And then I just did like a, a Begins rewatch. And what I came out of it is like, oh, Begins is just a way better Bruce Wayne movie 
this uh, the Batman is all about Batman. And in fact, there's only a few scenes of him as Bruce and he plays it exactly like the Riddler says. That's not the real him. He's completely uncomfortable as Bruce Wayne. He's like, he, he, you know, he visually doesn't look great as Bruce Wayne because he is so slight. Um, and so the, the whole movie is just way more comfortable with him as Batman and it's way more scenes of the actor in the Batman suit than we've ever had before. And I think that's what's interesting about it uh, especially thinking about it from a filmmaker standpoint, like how, if I'm going to go tackle this, how do I do this different? And I do think that that's the thing that uh, to me will be the legacy of this is that, you know, when you watch begins again, like that fucking suit is so cumbersome and he's kind of playing it. Like it, he can barely move through some of the scenes and it's like, man, I would have loved to see Bale in, in Pattinson suit because it is so much more flattering to the face. It has a much better aesthetic. You know, I still love the Keaton aesthetic uh, a lot. And I think the Dark Knight, they fixed a lot of the issues with the begin suit. I am not a huge fan of the Affleck aesthetic, which I know, uh, I, I think he's a great Batman. He's, he's a really good Bruce Wayne. But I just, it was too, like, squatty and it looks very foam latex to me. I just, I know, uh, I, 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 to also say I'm not a comic book guy. Like, I didn't read all of the Batman comics. The comics I read when I was into it, were like the image onslaughts and like all of the the, the Marvel at that time. Uh, I found DC to be like kind of impenetrable. Um, and I, I just never really went down that road. So when people are like, well, it's the most comic accurate, it's the most comic accurate, it's, I, I don't fucking care, make a great movie and I'm there. That's that's what I care about. Um, but yeah, so so going back and revisiting Begins, it made me this morning kind of accept the, the idiosyncrasies and the differences and appreciate what they were doing in this. I think, there's some interesting stuff they're doing with the camera that is very like formulas. Like the, the chase scene, uh, I found it frustrating, but at the same time, it's like, it's good if you're a film lover and if, if you're an action lover, I think it's a really interesting movie to study and I can't wait to watch more of it because I think because he's made, there's been so many Batmans that he was really pressing himself to do things different. And so he's like, I'm gonna lock the camera on to these cars and I'm not gonna give you the big overhead crane shot. I'm not gonna do drone shots. I'm not gonna do the helicopter. It's very like locked into POV. Uh, it was like what Scott was saying. It's almost all through um, Pattinson's POV, Batman's POV. So it, it forces you to look at things slightly different. I think that also is a little bit of its hindrance because you never get that like fist pumping, exciting moments because they don't break the perspective. Uh, so even when he does the big jump off the building, you're kind of stuck on this tight Literally, shot yeah, on his face. Handicam, yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, I was like, okay, here we go. And it just like, it never, <laughs> it never did it. And so, um, you know, it, it can be, it can be, uh, it, 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 it's a fascinating kind of thing, I think, for a, a film lover and a filmmaker to break down why they did this and, and, and how they did it. But um yeah, I, I, I think some people, obviously, that they'll appreciate it more. I, I think it kind of like it tied a hand behind its back at times, though. And um, now from an action standpoint in uh, a credibility standpoint of all those different things, there's something about Bale to me that he he I mean, you can tell from his one of the greatest monologues of the last century when he screamed on the set <laughs> of, of uh, Terminator 4. There's just something legitimately like terrifying about that guy is like a psychopathic intensity that I actually believe even if he were a billionaire and rich, like he would be like, I'm doing this. 
And the thing about Affleck that I was making the joke to Mike was like, Ben Affleck in a calendar year has had sex with Jennifer Lopez and Anna de Armas. Like he just doesn't, I, he just seems like a happier guy. Like if he's a billionaire, he's like drinking and he's playing poker and he's like, let's go. He's actually the cover Bruce Wayne that Bruce Wayne uses. I don't buy that he's actually, you know, torturing himself to to do all this stuff. That means no. Pete Davidson's going to be in the next reboot? <laughs> he, he physically did look great though. Um, well, I'm saying, like, is, is, is he uh, from one of one of your kin, you know, from the uh, New England boys. No, he yeah, no, a, I think Affleck, I think Affleck <laughs> got in the right physical shape. Now, Pattinson looks great in the suit. There was, the, I'm just not very scared of him uh, physically, and I just, I, I, I know I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a five ten, you know, uh, two hundred pound, thirty nine year old man. I'm sure he could kick the shit out of me. I'm not a great fighter, but I wouldn't be afraid to fight him. Like I, 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 I'd do it. I'd be kind of afraid to fight Affleck. I'm afraid to fight. Uh, bail, but you know, Keaton's like just in a he looks like a man to me, so I don't want to fuck with him. Adam but, West would kick your ass, yeah. But uh, Pattinson, I'm like, all right, let's go. I think I got a chance. And like, there, there, there's like, there's a lot of guys in this that they use as the as the stunt guys that he's going against that aren't very big, you know, like, like this Gotham City is like everyone's like five nine and kind of skinny, like the twins that they have as those as those guys outside, like. They're, like the, the, the average guy. Atkins movie, everybody is twice the size of the people in this movie. Yeah. Like, you I know, mean, Jeffrey Wright is the perfect like buddy because he's just always going to be the diminutive small guy next to you to make you look like you're fucking huge. Uh, but yeah, I, that that's just my my meathead thing from it. That uh, when we initially talked about the trailer, is I was like, it just you know he looks he looks great in the suit and he does that, and I think that's that's what the movie kind of works best. But um, yeah. Well, here. Sorry so, for the long rant. Um, here, Mike. I want to like try to get it to the next level. So, um, there's actually quite a bit I want to say about the movie in general. But I mean, this for our purposes as an action podcast, I don't want to stray too far into like you know depth about fucking you know emotional or stuff or you know or emo. Yeah, that's 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 for some of the time. I want to focus on the action here because uh, yeah, that's one of the things that um I was kind of really keyed in on throughout the movie. Um, and this also goes to the discussion about the previous Batman. So overall, I enjoyed the film, generally speaking, because I thought the action was really solid. You know, it was it was nothing crazy about it. But the one one of the most or maybe the strangest, most apparent thing was I think the action, specifically the fighting, was good. Only be well, mainly because they were in like medium shots and they weren't broken. Like they did, they just let them fight. I don't know. I don't know how to say it. Like. Most of the fight scenes, they just like let them go. They, they didn't like try to do any crazy like um, angles or close ups or or like editing. They just said, "Here, here he is. Here's the goons. They're gonna swarm him, and he's gonna fight." There's very little uh, quick cuts or shaky edits or anything like that. It's just him in this in the scene with the enemy fighting. So like one of the scenes that I, I liked uh, his first uh, in the, 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 the Penguins Club, where uh, he's fighting some goons and. Um, one of them has a baseball bat, Batman. Hey, so Batman takes takes the bat, hits the guy, throws the bat, you know. But he t- he he beats him up with the bat, takes the bat, and then throws it in his face. But it's all I think in one shot. It's all like a one one like framed scene. They don't like do any kind of crazy like uh, ninjutsu cut to whatever to it. It's just like so. I think and I think this maybe speaks to um Scott's point from more like you know, it's it's not doing anything revolutionary, but just the fact that maybe because we expect so little maybe in a way from 
comic book films, comic book action, that just it doing like a simple meat and potatoes, solidly cut action scene makes it feel better than it might, might be. But that also say, I do think it was actually still overall well well done. Like, uh, so I want to talk a bit about you know the styles I use. You know, um, we mentioned Bale style. He has that, that that crazy, the crazy cycles like strength, the, the the feralness to him. Um, so so, but and then they they kind of use that with the what did they call it? It was it was a big the like Kisei street fighting method where he's doing all these weird like you can't see me listening, but he's doing these like weird like elbows. Movement oh, the elbow this way, the elbow yeah, yeah. up to the. I love that. Yeah, it's like it looks, it looks crazy because you know because in in that in that uh, series, the fact that he's like you see him, the fact that he's very explicitly a ninja, kind of those weird movements accentuate that his fighting style of he comes at you from different angles you can't expect because he's ninja because he's like he moves mysteriously so that kind of accentuates that fighting style that that character, whereas with the uh, bat flick, you know because Snyder's Amping up the uh, super heroic of it, the the superhero, him and his like sleek muscular kind of suit, that's also bulletproof. It, it all makes sense in that regard because then you see him throwing the boxes, you know, crushes people's skulls, doing the full like body slam to the pile driver. Like that all makes sense. And I think maybe that might be my favorite Batman fight, honestly, because he kind of goes, he kind of goes for the gusto. Wait, are you you saying the Batman Superman? Um, yeah, one yeah. With Affleck? I, yeah. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's an argument that it's the. I mean, it's the best. Fight action scene that of Batman. I mean, you, yeah. you can't really yeah. just from a staging to shot to yeah. execution. It, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and again, I think again that their choreography and the styling enhances the, speaks to the character that they're trying to make. He is, you know, he does live in this world of Superman, so he has his own heightened strength beyond mortal men. But then even back to uh, to um, Keaton's Batman, he was so fascinating because like. Because he literally couldn't move in the suit, you know, he can move in the suit. Most of his fight scenes aren't really fights; they're like one-hit blows, like the famous one where he's uh, doing the, with the uh, guy with the uh, sword. I think it was. Yeah, he's trying the to charge him. Yeah, yeah. So like he has, he has the, uh, the 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 bad bad hand, the extended extended hand. So he just puts his hand out and like knocks him out, like because he can't move, he can't fight out of the way. But that comes off as like he's so skilled and so mysterious that he can take out with one blow. Because all he all he needs is the element of surprise or the element of terror. He doesn't have to do any like crazy kung fu and jitsu. He's just like, bah, and you're, you're done. So all these fighting styles speak to the way the characters speak to the characters that are made and how they interact with the world they're they're created in. And so here, you know, with with Patton's Batman, he's like here he's like the sad emo boy who lifts weights. So he still has that kind of raw energy to him, the, the rawness to him. But like you know, he's still like. He still get beat up. He still get beat up by the, by the two the, the two twins. The uh, they're like UFC welterweights. That's what they look like to me. So, like, <laughs> That's what I mean. <laughs> like, or him and, and, and uh, just uh, when he when he, when he fights the uh, the the guy the, the warrior remake extras it, it, on on the, uh, the subway stop. Yeah, like you know they 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 almost got him for a little bit. Yeah, so he, he, he's, he's the not out. forced to be reckoned with all that much. Yeah, except but, in the finale. I will admit when he. Flies yeah. through the window and he actually does do a bit of genuine Batman ass kicking. Yeah, that's what they do. I guess they would. That's what we're trying to like, you know, that's the that's this bloated third. Well, not bloated. That's yeah. this like Ow, extra. Guys, it's not even like you need to cut scenes. It's just actually shots per shot. It's yeah, like yeah. it's fractions of seconds throughout the whole movie 
to be taken out and you would lose 20 <laughs> minutes. It's not like yeah. you don't even need to take a scene out. It's just very languid. You know, it's yeah, actually, sorry, go ahead, Vice. Oh, well, I was say, so to like, so in that scene, when you kind of finally see him become Batman, or, which is weird to say, but like, once he like realizes he has to be hope and stop the crazy fucking QAnon guys, whatever the fuck they are, uh, like once you see that, like using you know, using utility belt, all his tricks and gadgets, all his you know his uh, ninja skills. Which I gotta say, I'm glad they don't have to like do the origin story all over again. But when they say that the um, Alfred, um, he says out loud, "Oh yeah, taught me like, how to fight." Yeah, I was like, wait, wait, wait. You say Alfred taught you all his ninja shit? Is that what you, is that what you're saying? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you talking about? But anyway, so like, even though we don't, even though his specific fighting style is not named, it kind of just works. You know, he's kind of like using his emo angriness with focus to work better. So and it works in this sense. But but like but like I said, the main thing of all is not is not even the fighting style, the choreography. It's just the, the fact that they shot it all cleanly. They didn't use crazy cuts. They didn't use like when it goes. The fact that you, you could just see him doing it is somehow like revolutionary, even though it's like it's still just like a mid fight. You know, he's just like ah, you know, like. But yeah, again, like I, I don't know if it's called. Uh, I don't know if I would say Dimension Returns or just like a knowing that knowing that we have all those different styles of Batman before, and just see them like you know be, be a regular brawler. I think that makes it feel more um, not revolutionary, more or fresher, even than it actually is. Yeah, because, I mean, it's again, if you didn't watch Daredevil, it's it's, yes, it's exactly. really fresh. But I mean, if yeah. you, I guess if you've seen it, but I will say just again, for it sounded like negative on Pat. I do think Pattison did the work and, and does look yeah. really oh, good yeah. in the action. And I think uh, yeah. he, he, there's no doubt that this guy, you know, is the goods. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, but also, I, before, before, before I end this, like, so I did love, uh, once again, Zoe Kravitz, Selena Kyle, she, she fights like an actual cat, like, like, like when they when they have a little their little lovers tussle, she's like kind of like he's kind of, he's kind of grab her like a cat. It's like trying to fight him fight away. But also when she when she actually is like brawling, fighting, she has this really cool. Um, you got to see it's in the trailer too. She like she has like a triple kick where she like does like the front the side kick to reverse kick, then around the kick the guy's head. It was a really cool move. I just I, I she did she did it twice actually. So you know like I, it's like I don't know if it's like a signature like a Matrix Trinity Scorpion kick kind of move, but I, I like that they had that. They had the presence of mind to give her her own like distinct feeling of fighting because yeah, she's like she's like five foot nothing so like they got to kind of like amp it up a little bit and they, they did I think they did so um, so yeah that, that's that's my take on like the fighting of Batman if you like if you like if you came to see Batman scrap you 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 like you like it you like it maybe it's a long ass movie so you you know you go to the bathroom you know shake the phone when it's not, when it's not a fight though it's good you, you like it you like it you be good you be alright. <laughs> I think that actually is a perfect way to us to segue in kind of in the last thing that we want to talk about, unless you guys have any other like burning last thoughts on the Batman. I think if I say anything more, I'm just going to, again, continue to make everybody angry. Um, the only thing I wanted to say, the last thing I'll say is having watched for F this movie fest independence day last night, Liam, you talking about pacing, you know, regardless of what you might think of independence day, what a, just a perfectly paced movie. That. Absolutely. And, and there's no alternative opinion about Independence Day. If you, if you don't like it, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> but one of the things uh, that Scott kind of suggested us talking about here is is sort of this idea of, you know, comic book movies are everything and they are ostensibly action movies, right? They involve big punchy people punching things. 
Um, but what's kind of interesting, I think, and I think most people would agree with this is by and large, comic book movies don't give us what we would really, they give us spectacle, but I think that's a very different thing from action, right? I, I, I think of action as hand-to-hand combat, that kind of stuff. And by and large, they don't really give us the goods when it comes to that. Um, but there have been some that do, you know, some that have already come up. Uh, but I think it's just, it, it's a fascinating thing to me that we have this ostensibly action genre that doesn't have really good action most of the time. So, so Scott, I'll kick it over to you. Well, I think for, and for me, the best example of, you know, in 19, summer of 1996, you know, The Rock and The Phantom opened on the same day. I like both movies, but I don't think anyone would walk into The Phantom expecting a top-notch action action movie. You know, there's some swinging and there's some punching and fisticuffs and, you know, about a dozen not-so-bloody murders, but it's an adventure film. It's a caper. It's, 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 but if you want action then you go to the rock the new michael bay movie the guy that made bad boys a few years or last year you know it stars sean connery is not james bond it stars you know uh ed harris as a the bad guy and nicholas cage back when nicholas cage's in an action movie was really weird and unique by itself um and there was a differentiating because again you know and in, in, in up until the last you know five or six years you went to a comic book superhero movie because you want to see a comic book superhero movie. You know, if you wanted to see a rom-com, you went to see a rom-com. If you want to see a heist movie, you saw a heist movie. If you want to see a, you know, a big action movie, you saw an action movie. You know, even to a certain extent, you know, summer, you know, spring, summer 2015, you want an action movie, you see Furious 7. If you want a spectacle, you see Avengers Age of Ultron. Um, and there were some examples, you know, some action films that I think blended the line pretty well the most obvious example being captain america the winter soldier which i think when that came out eight years ago uh was like holy shit this is a comic book action film that you know wouldn't be embarrassing as an action movie you know there's it's not as good as the raid but it's that kind of you know that kind of kinetic choreography and movement and that's I've long argued that Captain America the Winter Soldier was the most important movie in Marvel's long road to Hollywood domination because it was one of the first examples of a Hollywood genre appropriation, which was arguably better than most of the genuine articles, especially the ones opening at that time. I mean, Captain America the Winter Soldier is Tom Clancy in tights, and it right. was a lot better than Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit. Oh, my God, yeah. Nobody um, that shit. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's it's, um, and I think you know to a certain extent, Guardians of the Galaxy was you know Star Wars, Star Trek, Fast and the Furious, and at that point in time, it was better than most Fast and Furious. This was before Fast Five. Most yeah. no wait, this was right after Fast. Five. Many it was better than many Fast and Furious movies. Yeah. Uh, it was as good as a Star Trek movie. It was as good as a Star Wars movie. So people start, and it was as big as a Transformers movie. Yeah. Um, Because yeah. even over you know, the first, you know, third of Marvel's whatever, you know, Iron Man was a smaller film than Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. You know, even the Avengers to a certain extent, you know, became a big deal because it had a third act as big as Transformers Dark of the Moon. 
Um, and it wasn't really until the twofer of Captain America and Guardians of the Galaxy where they said, okay, not only are we going to coexist alongside the other blockbusters and the other genre films, we're going to supplant that shit. We're going to ideally do it better than anyone else. And we're going to have these marquee characters that you like. And over the next few years, that's when you started seeing a situation where something like Captain America Civil War, whether you like it or not, it was, you know, basically a literal all quadrant film, even to people that otherwise might have gone to see an adult film like The Nice Guys. So, you know, that that marketplace got swallowed up. Um, People who want to see a comedy, they saw Deadpool. People wanted to see a teenage coming of age movie. They saw Spider-Man Homecoming. People mm-hmm. wanted to see and the most, I don't want to say insidious because it's not good or evil here, but the most insidious thing that Marvel has been doing is they've been making movies that also approximate what would be rival franchises from their rivals. You know, the obvious example, Guardians of the Galaxy and Star Trek. But I mean, are we ever going to get a He-Man movie? I don't know. Does anyone give a shit? Not when we have Thor Ragnarok and Thor Love and Thunder. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Wow, this was really depressing. Um, but I, I do, I, you know, I had just my own personal story with that was like, you know, one of the, the, the first script I wrote and the one that I, it, I remember I posted a page because it was crazy uh, Mars smashing into moon type of thing. I, I wanted to do, you know, as a kid, like Independence Day, hugely inspired by that i loved armageddon and so like the first script when i came out here to i wanted to do a huge disaster movie and i was working with these you know uh directors who owned a big visual effects company so it made sense and and that company had uh done day after tomorrow and that they you know they got a bafta for that so it kind of made sense to like we'll we'll try to put this together and sell it and uh i remember you know when star trek came out and this was a movie about a, a black hole opening up on Earth, and they just did the fucking black hole uh, on on Vulcan, and it destroyed the planet. I just was like sitting back in my seat, like, oh, uh, that that was our whole movie, and they just did that a shot there, and that's you know kept becoming a thing of just getting your lunch eaten in these movies um, because they could do, you know, like the Alien Invasion movie, you know, where you have uh, Skyline is like. All those movies came out because of District Nine, you know, um, or you know that that movie, an original IP. It's obviously you know has some Halo bones in there, but um, that launched all of these other alien invasion type things. And then by the time Beyond Skylines coming out, it's literally like against Justice League, Avengers. There's just all these massive alien invasion movies with people that can punch the aliens like into another planet. So it, it just started to feel that of what you're saying, like your lunch is just getting eaten. There's nothing that you have that is uh, on that just pure spectacle level able to really compete. And the only solution is to try to you know make your characters stand out and have people come in for your characters or in, in the DTV world specifically, like the, the attention to the action itself. Like we're, we're going to give you something that you're not getting from those other movies where uh, you know, people will say like, um, make the action faster. And so then they, they chop it up and, uh, and, it, and it's slightly less satisfying for a certain customer. And so that's where the DTV has kind of found its niche, you know? Um, but yeah, that, that's just my experience from it on, on the outside of, of like slowly being like, wait, oh, wait, sure. wait. Because these films that are technically supposed to be nuts and bolts, blockbuster action movies are being directed by, you know, auteurs and indie darlings. 
And obviously there's value in that. I'm not going to say it was a mistake to have Ryan Coogler direct Black Panther because obviously that worked out. But at the end of the day, the the old school nuts and bolts, I know how to make a movie. I know how to make a genre film, an action movie with decent action in it. You know, the John Turtle Tubbs, the Rennie Harlins of the world. To say nothing of the younger possibly more diverse i don't know i'm not as an expert in this you are vod action filmmakers that might make a an ant-man movie that actually works as an action an action movie right ant-man's a bad example that one's actually pretty cute the, 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 the problem is is that they're all pretty good so as much yeah. as we like want to sit here no, that's, that's, their, that's their secret that's the thing the is that when everyone does these tweets or these sweeping statements will be like comic book movies and then and then you actually say well which one is that you hate and they go well i actually like that one uh, like, oh, no, wait. what about guardians? Oh, Gar- guardians everybody likes their representative yeah well, no guardians is a good one i wasn't talking about that one yeah which one are you talking about like it's i i just watched infinity war last week it was just because my my son had been so obsessed with spider-man and he forgot that spider-man was in that one and I was like, this is a fucking great comfort watch. It's just a yeah. fun fucking movie. Um, and so, th- and that's, there's always, they're this just anonymous punching bag. But if you actually go into one for one, everyone's like, well, th- that one's pretty good. The yeah. problem is where the non-blockbusters can no longer reach a theatrical audience. You know, yeah. it would be one thing if comic book, super, DC, Marvel, superhero movies conquered the blockbuster landscape if people would still show up to movies like the hangover or the proposal or you know widows or whatever but as you know that's you know that does that doesn't exist anymore so they really have become something of a monopoly on the theatrical experience um and you know, I would argue the sequel that Marvel's success is that they're character-driven stories. They're based around marquee characters and crowd-pleasing supporting casts. And they're, they they hit the fundamentals to the point that, with a few exceptions here and there, they're never less than three-star entertainments. Yeah. yeah. And again, now we're at a point where you've had enough of a generation or so that grew up on this stuff that they don't recognize, not that it could be better than this, but it could be different than this. That yeah. you don't need to have a Batman to enjoy a serial killer movie. Yeah. You know, the idea of just watching Seven instead of this half-hearted imitation of Seven, but with a Batman <laughs> movie, almost never enters the equation. Yeah, it's yeah. weird that we did Brad Pitt and then uh, Batman, and we we didn't mention that you know that the Seven connection. Um, yeah, Vice. yeah, Vice. I, what were you going to yeah. say? Oh, well, I was saying like. Um, but the thing is, though, even now, there's still stuff that's like being kind of scraped out for larger audiences. Malignant. Malignant is a R-rated serial killer murder mystery superhero movie. It's all those things, but like kind of in secret until you do the reveal of it all. And it's fucking fantastic. But also, you also, you know, campy and silly too. But like, it's all those things that like, but like the only way James Bond was able to do that was get by making a billion dollars off Aquaman, you know? Like so even even these guys, who have the skill and talent and the know-how and the, the desire to make these more specific, you know, um, kinds of action movies, they gotta like go through the big ring grinder first to get the money to do this stuff. But yeah, like yeah, like like if malignant 
it would be like a better Batman movie than this movie. If, but like, it's not Batman. Like, but that's that's the point. That's why it's better. Yeah, it's like you can do its own fucking thing. You have this weird, like mysterious shit going on, and you know, be have a cool kick-ass action sequence and an actual mystery that you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, so yeah. it would be so, way cooler if Batman just came out of the back of Bruce Wayne's head. <laughs> 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 and it's funny because you met you mentioned on Twitter law-abiding citizen yesterday. Oh my god. And when yeah. I saw that movie in 2009, I thought, hey, this is again, this was a world where you had lots of movies and there wasn't, you know, we are where we are. And I was like, this is a fun variation on what if the Dark Knight wasn't about Batman. Yeah. Because yeah. obviously his, you know, kill people from the inside and whatever <laughs> felt very much like the Joker's centric second act of the Dark Knight. Yeah, to to me, I just for that for law-abiding citizen kind of felt like not just like a um stranger take on a Batman movie, but also it also felt like a um an early uh an early attempt at Americans to make a Korean revenge thriller. Like you know, I saw the devil or whatever. Yes. But you know, but like so in a way it's like before it's time. So like, it got a lot of bad reviews and like not you know bad reception, but like it's a very it was a, but it was a hit. People showed up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So but like yeah. people like they, they say now they hit it, but like it's a very unique but like but now they watch Squid Game, they watch fucking you know all this fucked up Korean you know revenge horror violent stuff. Like, but that's what that movie was too. You know? Yeah, and, and so like, it kind of speaks to another, you know, another angle. It's like, um, I think um, we talk about the, the DTV world, kind of taking the taking the slack as far as pure action films go, but of course now we'll be now that we're in a um, wider net network internet and distribution like Welgo USA, for example, we have all these other Asian films that are doing like um, you could say heightened martial arts films. You know, adding more supernatural superhero elements to them. Um, but they're still fundamentally martial arts slash action films first before the superhero. Like one example I saw, which well, this is it. Let me make a, a good example, but like just so how how um, wide this spreads. There was a um, Korean film from a few years ago where it involves a, a priest, a, a UFC fighter who becomes an exorcist. So he has, he has like the punch demons, or whatever. And that's, it's a it's a pretty <laughs> divine pretty... fist, man. I fucking love that movie. It's bonkers it, it is so cool do i have to get the rights to this that sounds like something we should remake Fantastic. <laughs> no yeah but yeah it's just, it's just uh, you know it's like it has this heightened element to it, but it's still like you know it's still using this kind of martial arts sensibility to it um and i think you know i think some some american things are kind of oh we, we just we just spoke about uh uh fist of vengeance fist of vengeance you know last podcast you know the uh the Wu War Assassins uh, movie spinoff, whatever. So, like, you know, there are stuff that's coming out now that's kind of like taking up the slack for these for the feelings of the action in the superhero genre market, whatever. But you know, it's 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 um it's still kind of stuff going. But I do think I do appreciate that there is a wider variety because, like, like people like say, if you, if you don't like the American stuff, that's even if, it's fine. There's literally a whole world of of, of stuff that's trying to um. Use action with the modern super modern CGI, modern effects to pretty good effect. So that, that, that at least that at least is what keeps me hopeful that we'll, we'll keep seeing good action in some form or another. No, I I absolutely agree with you. I just get grouchy when you know when Hollywood makes this stuff for theaters and nobody shows up. It makes my job a lot harder. 
Well, I was thinking uh, yesterday or, or when we saw the Batman, everyone's like, everyone's attention span is so much shorter. You could, can't watch these three-hour movies like in the 70s. I'm like, couldn't they smoke cigarettes in the theater in the 70s? Because I think that really would have helped like around the two-hour mark if I could have just burned one down. Like, start, start, like less, less fidgeting and, and just sit, sit me back in my chair. I know Mike probably agrees with me there. Yeah, I actually, I actually did pop outside and have a dirt. Uh, <laughs> when I was watching, which now everybody's going to immediately say my opinion about the Batman is wrong and invalid. I think the fact that I stepped outside to have a fucking smoke is my opinion about the yeah, Batman. Yeah, yeah. Where did you step out, if I may ask? Oh, I just I walked out. I walked out the front of the. No, no, what no scene, which what part scene? of the movie? Oh, uh, it was uh, shit. I don't even remember. It was. I, I want to say it was right after the scene. But when right after the good scene where they they kidnap or they capture Dano and they have the Batman hits the wall. But before we go into that, because I'm like, OK, we're going to go into the climax and I'm looking at my watch and I'm like, there's still 45 fucking. Minutes oh, left I mean, right where it now. takes them 50 minutes to go to the Riddler's apartment and figure out the plan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good point to go get us whatever. Yeah. I will. I will often hit video on my phone and point at the screen and hand it to my wife if I have to go to pee because I, I need to know what I missed. Uh, well, and it was one of those things where I also knew I was. I knew. I knew. Twenty minutes into the movie, not enjoying it, I'm like, I'm gonna have to watch this again. I'm gonna have to watch this at home because I gotta give this. It, I, I'm already the movie's already lost me, and I, so I'm not gonna give it the fairest shake. Uh, and so I knew I was gonna watch it again. So I'm like. And I'm not a professional critic. I don't get paid to write this, you know, to do this. <laughs> so I want to go out and have a dart. I'll go out and have a fucking dart. Um, I love it. What I wanted to, to talk about in terms of this, the, this stuff with the action in, in these movies, though, that I find fascinating is Sherman set the Wayback Machine to 1998. And we get Blade, which has wild action. and a Game changing. And a couple years later, we get Blade 2, which has even it's got fucking choreography by Donnie Yen. You know, we get uh, even even the the Raimi Spider-Man's the, the the train fight in Spider-Man 2. Exceptional action set piece. Uh, X2, the uh, the assault on the mansion with Wolverine yeah, yeah. going full berserker mode. Like, that's what's weird to me about the action in these comic book movies now is there was a period of time when we were building up to the MCU that these movies actually did bring the goods um, in terms of action and, and action design and stunt work and stuff like that. And, um, and fight choreography, you know, I mean, blade still stands blade and blade Two still stand as I think some of the best Western martial arts movies of all time. Like, yeah. like take yeah. the comic book aspect out of it. Just watching Wesley beat yeah. is terrific. And, and we don't think that's, Oh, sorry. Uh, I, I, I was just going to say, diff- no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. My one last point just on that is, is that really I sort of feel like d- the TV comic book stuff is where a lot of that is now, you know, because Daredevil oh, was terrific. Iron Fist sucked, but that's not <laughs> there. But Daredevil was terrific. Even, even, you know, as we talked about boys, the action in Hawkeye was quite frankly superior to most of the big budget comic book movies. And, and I, I just, I find that a very weird thing, but sorry, Scott, what were you going to say? No, 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 I didn't mean to interrupt you. I think the interesting thing about Blade is that was a film, a trilogy, I guess that was, I mean, yes, it was sold as being a comic book movie, but it was also primarily an R rated Wesley Snyder action movie where he kills vampires the fact that it was based on a marvel comic was beside the point 
to mm-hmm. you know 99% of the moviegoers. And I think even when, when Blade 2 came out in, in March, April 2002, we all knew instinctively that it was going to be a better action film than Sam Raimi's first Spider-Man. Yeah. You know, we that wasn't what we were going to see Spider-Man for. We were hoping that it would have, you know, it was be it would be able to do on a 130 budget enough web slinging and fisticuffs and adventure to not look restrained and constrained. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what was so amazing about Spider-Man 2's action scenes is that was the first time for me that I felt that I was seeing a living, breathing, fisticuff comic book action adventure sequence on the big screen which yeah. did not feel compromised by the understandable budgetary and physical limitations of the form. Yeah. It was like, you know, Superman 2, but done right. Yeah. Um, I, I, wait, I want to interject something because I want to, this has always been strange to me. People, everybody always says Spider-Man 2 is a superior film. I have I have thoughts about the Spider-Mans. That's not for here. My thought specifically is about the fight. Yeah. When the Goblin, uh, the Willem Dafoe, was beating the shit out yes. of Toby Blight in part one, I thought that was the best fights in the whole Raimi stuff. And then with Spider-Man 2, like, the train sequence as a sequence, as a, as a spectacle, was great, but, like, he's fighting a CGI rubber octopus man thing. I, I didn't really feel the same, like, this dude's gonna fuck you up kind of feeling that Defoe was given because that's one at Defoe, but two, because they, I, you know, seen some behind the scenes stuff. Like they were, they were trying to figure out how Spider-Man fight. They were like, they had, they had experimented with like, you know, Capoeira and all, all these kinds of martial arts, but then they kind of just settled on, you know, meat and potatoes, physics kind of guys. And it's beautiful. It works because this is again, again, the, the character, the emotion, here's a young punk kid full of piss of vinegar and it's all like, you know, abusive dad fighting that's what, that's what it looks like <laughs> yeah it's a terrific it's a and i, I should have yeah. mentioned that you know you're right yeah. but, that and, is and, yeah. a rare example of a big you know, very big budget i mean spider-man turned the genre into an a-list tentpole franchise yeah. where you really do have brutal brutal yeah, hardcore fisticuffs yeah, yeah. and it was, just, it was just funny just kind of the corollary to that you know, uh, and you're right that, um, in uh, no way home the best part of the movie is when the folk comes back and beats the dog shit out of yeah. this kid again. Oh yeah, the, the <laughs> fucking power bomb through the ground is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Again, you have, you have, again, you have a, a film full of CGI monstrosities climbing around the, the screen. But no, here's one of the foe with his cranky old ass throwing a kid through a building like that. That's, that's, how, you that's how you sell tickets, right? <laughs> um. But again, that, that kind of speaks to the point where, like, you know, we have all these resources and spectacle and. and Expectation of how how to make this action, but you don't need that much. You don't need all you need is a, all you need is a couple of game actors, a, a person with a sense of vision to uh, get people to move in sync with their characters, and in the film, it clearly that's all you fucking need. But again, yeah. we've, we've struggled for decades now trying to figure this shit out. I don't know. I'll go back to West Side Story from last week. I mean, that, that fight scene in that is more emotionally engaging than any of the fight scenes were in the Batman for me. And I still liked the Batman, I'm trying yeah. to say, but it did not get me on that uh, you know, emotional level to actually switch that part of myself on. I still felt like I was watching it and I was never quite I, th- I think part of it for me is when you get to a certain kind of fantasy skewing blockbuster, everything on screen is so expensive that there's n- a there's not a lot of room for flexibility. B something I noticed like when you watch the first Iron Man, the first Transformers, or even Man of Steel to a certain extent, it feels like every movement is like a struggle to pay for. 
So like every time Superman punches, it's very pronounced because you spent a lot of money on that. I don't know if we can afford to have him punch again. Um, <laughs> and you know, I one of the things that's interesting about the first Transformers film, which I'm not huge on, but whatever, is that it's genuinely impressive every time any of those robots do anything. You know, because yeah. it's such a mammoth technological, you know, work. Yeah. Um, and the first Iron Man movie, which was, you know, only about 140 million back, but even the Transformers films were like 200 million bucks. And there is an obvious, almost visceral strain in that film attempting to give you comic book Iron Man-y action in this pared down character-driven package. Yeah. Um, and I think as the comic book subgenre, specifically DC Marvel, because that's, you know, really what we're working about here, you know, became these bigger and larger than life spectacles. The money, I'm not gonna say the money went elsewhere, but the money went everywhere in surrounding of that shot where you couldn't necessarily just have two stuntmen go, go choreograph something fun and we'll work it out. You know, we'll, we'll see what it looks like. Yeah. I don't know. And I'm wrong. That's completely speculation. But, you know, watching those films when I did and how I felt about them, I do feel it may be a predecessor to what we're dealing with now where these films, well, a lot of them aren't good action films. Um, and maybe it's why the first two fight scenes in Shang-Chi, which aren't fantastical in any way, shape or form, are much more compelling action adventure scenes than the film's climax, which while emotionally compelling because you have characters you care about, it feels restrained by the fantastical elements that are happening around it. Uh, so that's now, a perfect example. Film, yeah. I'm full of shit. No, 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 that's a perfect example because I, that that's the movie I've watched more times than any movie in the past year because of my son. And he always wants to watch the bus fight. And we rarely ever watch the second half of the movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, that is a great kind of a and b of of and i think that was what mike said when he saw the movie they had too much money on this movie yeah if they had had less money it would have been better yeah yeah absolutely no and, and one well i think and one of the other weird things and and scott you kind of brought this up when you know you mentioned guys like rennie harlan one of the things that's been done with these movies now i think is is i actually got into a, a discussion i don't know six eight months ago uh right around the time black widow came out so maybe I guess almost a year ago at this point with some folks on Twitter about how uh, bear with me, I'm going to go in the weeds just a little bit here on, on some stuff, but it, how Marvel has actually adopted the Hong Kong method of filmmaking in a weird, like jacked up uh, adrenalinized version in that for those who don't know, the way a lot of movies were made in the, the Hong Kong golden era was you basically had a director and you had an action director. So you would have a movie directed by somebody like uh, Ringo Lam, and then you might have somebody like Stephen Tung Wai come in and actually do the action scenes, choreograph and design and bring his stunt team in, all of that. And they would work together, but they would have very, very different roles. And that's really what Marvel has done, wherein they have their previs team on every single movie design and do literally all of the action. They do it with the director. But I mean, I mean, it's up front. You know, Marvel has literally told people, don't worry about the action if you come and direct one of these movies. Uh, I mean, even Shane Black, all the way back on Iron Man 3, Joss Whedon told him that. He said, you know, fuck Joss Whedon, but Whedon told him that. He said, look, trust the machine, 
You just do what you do best and they will take care of the rest of it. So it's very similar. It's, it's very much that Hong Kong style, but just in this weird, baffling, mega, fuck huge way of doing it. Um, and, and people really pushed back on me on that, but it is the Why same. Why did they push back? It, it, I thought that was kind of, it's, what, what's the pushback? No, the pushback was just that I would have the nerve to in any way compare the MCU to Hong Kong classic cinema. Oh, that's uh, fucking it, stupid. Uh, <laughs> But no, no, but it, it, it is, I think from my point of view, like Mike, it's like, I came up like, you know, in the, in the, the, the Cameron is the God and you, you get in there and you make the type of movie you want to make on a low budget and prove that that can be done. And that's how you work your way up on the ranks. But the smarter way is to just go make the best, smallest acted one tone slow a24 fucking character piece sundance movie and everyone jizzes over and then you get handed like something bigger it's like if you actually want to go in and make a sci-fi movie make an action movie as your first movie you're then a genre guy and you're you're not going to get those opportunities anymore it's like better to go and do the quiet thing with no bad scenes no bad scenes uh, you know, hushed acting don't move the camera let 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 the cow drift through the camera on the fucking raft and you know make first cow and then you're gonna get uh you know that's how you 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 make your way in this town i'm not bitter i swear the problem problem with not wrong yeah you're not wrong but the problem with that is and this is kind of the point that i was getting to is unlike somebody like sam raimi or guillermo del toro or or you know even stephen norrington to a certain extent you are getting these comic book movies made now by people who do not have a fundamental understanding of all aspects of how to make these movies. Right. You know, and, and so I think that's why you're getting this weird disconnect where you can get a movie like uh, something like the Eternals where some of the drama scenes and stuff work really well. And the action is just absolutely uh, abysmal Um, because you don't have a Rennie Harlan who let's be honest, isn't always, wasn't always the best with character work in his movies, but understood every aspect of the movie that he was trying to make or at a higher level Cameron, right? Cameron who can do fuck huge, awesome action can do character stuff, uh, Sometimes, most of the time, I guess, uh, not always, but, but, you know, and, and that's just not how it's done anymore. And I think that's really where we've lost the action component of these movies and why, where I think sometimes the TV shows are coming better because they're the action team has to do so much more work and the showrunner has to be so much more involved uh, because they don't have the budget. They got to meticulously plot everything out. Uh, you know, I, I know how much work they put in those, you know, those three oneers in, in the three seasons of daredevil. I know how much fucking work they put in because they did not have the budget. Netflix did not give those series any money whatsoever. They did not have the budget to fuck those up. Um, so recently that, like when we just saw it, um, when you, Great action, but maybe I think better than the Suicide Squad movies. Like, I don't know, you, you could argue for better than Guardians of the Galaxy, but like he did coming scaling it down to TV. So to we, we lost you for just a sec, Vice, but you're talking about Peacemaker, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, yes, yes sorry. For Peacemaker, yeah, like, um, having James Gunn kind of scale down, so to speak, to that, to that level. Um, but like he made, made his action so tight, like the fight with Vigilante in the prison or the fight with his dad, uh, uh, the white dragon, and like that was that was fantastic work. They didn't need didn't need a fucking giant 
starfish CGI monstrosity, like spoiling everything, whatever. I don't like that. I don't like that part of the movie. But yeah, <laughs> yeah like that. But, and, and I, I, I'm speaking a lot to like a lot of practical stuff. But I'm not. A, I'm not a um, practical effects only kind of guy. I'm not, I'm not that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that the resources that they're doing to make these fights, they're being lost, and they're not. There's like like we've like been saying, they they can, no matter who it is or who's doing it, they can do these right. They just gotta make make sure they focus on them properly. But yes, mm-hmm. uh, and I, well, and then last thing I'll say is that um, you know, they had the, before the Batman the movie, they had the, like the trailer after the trailer after the trailer for fucking uh the DC onslaught coming up next, mm-hmm. the Flash and uh, Aquaman, whatever. And um, at this point, it's like you know, like I like those movies. I like I like where they I like where they're going, more or less. Um, but it's like uh, knowing that James Bond was able to do that what he did in *Malignant*. I'm still hopeful that they can pull the stuff, have these moments of brilliance in these movies. But yeah, at this point, I'm like, I'm kind of, I'm gonna, I'm leaning more towards the TV stuff and more towards like you know, like uh, fucking *Reacher* or whatever. See my action rock <laughs> stuff again. Um, you know, I, I, I think I think it's been more apparent with everything from *Winter Soldier* to even now, honestly, the *Batman*. Like that's kind of uh, the lightning in the bottle or the like the once in a Blue Moon kind of thing where you get, we respect the great action um, in these things. But, you know, but that's I come to these movies for other stuff, too. So, you know, and, but, but and for my part, if I get something as as, as shocking as um, Thanos putting the hands on the Hulk like like a kickboxer, I'm happy with it. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. I'll take it. You know, but, you know, I, I, oh. I know I got to look elsewhere for, for more consistent kind of action. It's funny. For the record, I agree with everything you just said. You know, we're talking about how they're sort of decompartmentalizing certain facets of the filmmaking. And one of the weird examples of a recent comic book movie that I thought had fantastic action was Birds of Prey, mm-hmm. which is where, from what I gather, I don't want to spread gossip, but from what I gather, 87 was brought in on a more hands-on level to tinker with the action, regardless of director Kathy Yen's thoughts on that. And, you know, it's not my place to say whether she was right or wrong to complain, but... I really liked the movie, so something went right. <laughs> and the action is really unusually visceral and brutal and coherent for what would otherwise be a comic book superhero action movie. Um, commercially, I think going with an R rating was a disaster. I said that three, two years before the movie came out, but it made for a better movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's always that, you know, where I have to wear two hats kind of thing. It's like, um, I'm glad they did it because neat, but most female centric action movies are R rated Atomic Blonde, Resident Evil, Underworld, et cetera, et cetera. So you were putting out something that was unique in the marketplace. Um, that's one reason, one of many reasons why Black Panther did well. Because when you think of, you know, black centric action adventure movies, most of them are R rated pictures that kids don't watch or can't see. Um, so you know, one respectively, Wonder Woman and Black Panther were hey, you can take your kiss to this one, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, I, I had one question for you, Scott, because I, I know we're wrapping up, but uh, you just brought up the Aquaman 2, and that was a, a real surprise, like billion dollar grocer. It feels like they waited too long for the sequel, a little bit to me. That was 2018. <sighs> I generally speaking, five years is bad. I don't yeah. know if COVID's going to change the game on that. You oh, know, the whole oh. you waited too long. But generally speaking, Godzilla King of the Monsters was too long. The Suicide Squad was too long. Um, the Lego Movie 2 was too long, et cetera, et cetera. But Hydra and Your Dragon 3 did just fine. 
So there are exceptions. Animations sometimes can be a different, you know, nobody, you know, nobody said, oh, it's been too long since Frozen, so I don't care about Frozen 2. People were waiting. With, no, you know, no. And, and um, I guess he, like, he's got this Zack Snyder's Justice League came out. So, like, you've seen the character again. Yeah. But I don't feel like MoMA did a ton of movies in between. And, um, um, he's been doing just... streaming TV series out the butt, if I recall. Mm-hmm. And, you yeah. know, money is money. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm inclined to think the movie will be very successful just because everyone liked the first Aquaman and it was very leggy. So people discovered it at different points of its life. Um, it was the mm-hmm. leggiest live action superhero movie since Batman. It's um, a great movie. And that's yeah. what I always bring it up when people talk about, oh, they, they don't have movie they don't have this and all that and i'll go what about aquaman and they'll go, yeah, oh yeah i forgot about that one and that's basically a live action super smash brothers movie and i mean that as a compliment <laughs> absolutely um no i like you know personal bias whatever i love aquaman i i'm james wan maybe one of my favorite big deal directors and in Me terms too. of and he's again that that, that he, he and, came up he yes, came up the right way he, he started on a million dollar movie yeah made it a hit made another franchise made another franchise like he came up he knows every single aspect on how to make a and movie. he made middle to low budget studio pictures like death sentence which i probably my favorite death wish movie by default i love that um, one too yeah. yeah um it's sort of the only one that's like well what the fuck do you think was gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> and uh what was the uh, dead silence which i enjoy I'm a weirdo and that I love James Wan and I did not like the first Saw movie. So that's, I'd like the party of one. Um, party of two. Party of two. Fair I, enough. I, I, part I, of my I problem is that. I recognize both actors that were playing the villains. So it's like, oh, Michael Emerson, that guy that was a serial killer on the practice, he's probably involved. And then I see <laughs> the guy in the hospital is like, that's Tobin Bell. I just saw him on 24. He looks kind of <laughs> like the guy on the son of a bitch. <laughs> Well, that's not the movie's fault, but no, that's just you. Um, but no, I, I am optimistic for Aquaman 2 just because that is one that a lot of people that otherwise couldn't give a poo about comic book movies or DC versus Marvel or this or that, they liked it and they saw it and liked it. Right. My daughter, who doesn't have any strong feelings about this stuff either way, really liked Aquaman. That's the one DC movie that she really liked. Um, uh, she likes Shazam because, you know, it's great. But even that one, you know, that's going to have to deal with, you know, did were people just curious the first time? Yeah. I hope not. I hope it's a breakout sequel because, you know, again, you know, small opening, decent profit, but not a blowout number. People discovered it, you know, along the way. And I think the year lost to COVID sort of. You're right. Like, it, it, it doesn't really about. count. In yeah. The and a lot of people discovered these movies while they were stuck indoors. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I, 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 I'm inclined to think that Aquaman will be friggin' huge, especially if it doesn't open against Avatar 2. I can't believe those two movies are going to open on the same day. That's insane. They're both underwater set sequels directed by a guy named James about a stranger <laughs> in a strange land who becomes sort of a reluctant ruler of a people he barely knows. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm thinking they're going to have to do something about that. Oh, um, <laughs> we can like we gotta have you back on just to talk Avatar sequels. Like the moment oh, we get yeah, the Avatar, yeah. Uh, moment we get the Avatar trailer, you're coming back on the show. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't I, wait. I, I could talk to you about Avatar for three hours. It's weird because I wrote an article like seven years ago on Avatar's fifth year anniversary about how 
you know, I, I saw Avatar. I love Avatar, but you know, at that love point, it, it did not have much of a pop culture footprint. And the article went viral back when I didn't have a paywall. <clears throat> um, and you know, I've sort of like spent the last seven years saying, "Yes, I wrote that," but I really like Avatar. And <laughs> honestly, I think in the last seven years or so, the fact that it only exists as the singular motion picture that came, saw, conquered, and then left actually has gone from a, a flaw to a strength. I think so too, but also because all the other competing things kind of like either happened and, you know, killed like Endgame or Rise of Skywalker kind of like petered out. So on the horizon, when you look at like, what's the next big thing that we had on for, for Endgame for all those years, you don't really see it right now. So Avatar 2 actually is the one that I'm like, that could be the big, huge fucking like the white whale on the horizon as far as spectacle movies go. With the caveat that there's nothing good about COVID and the circumstances of COVID, I will find it hilariously fitting and ironic is if after 12 years of baby, no one likes Avatar, nobody wants an Avatar sequel, that Avatar 2 is the movie that saves movie theaters. I, I'm willing to bet my life on it. I'm willing. I've, I've never bet against. I that. will also bet your life on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's um, that or it's that or Morbius. So you know, hey. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and look, without getting to too much release date, you know, musical chairs here. You know, if they finish Black Panther on time, great, awesome. But you know, if more shenanigans occur and they have to delay that to summer 2023, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And then I think you move Flash to Christmas, which is at least different enough from Avatar that they can, you know, coexist. And then you move Aquaman 2 to pre-Thanksgiving. But get this man a studio to run, people. <laughs> Please. Um, My children I, um... need clothes. I think, boys, we've been going for a little over two hours. I think it's about time for us winding down. Um, yes. Uh, so, but Scott, yeah, this is any any like last thoughts? Anything that anybody wants to sum up? Uh, I didn't like the Batman, but I'm confident they can make you know they can fix what you know, they can do something different and interesting last time or next time. If I'm optimistic, I could argue that like the Force Awakens, it was a necessary evil to get people back in the comfort zone, and then the next one will go crazy. And like you guys talked about, and I might write about this later this week, I want to see the Bat family. I want to see villains that have never been on screen on the big screen before. Professor Pig, Man Bat, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> uh, you know, if you want to do the Court of Owls, fine, knock yourself out. But, you know, th- there's a whole world of Batman that's not just the comics from 1985 to 2000. Yeah. And that's where they need to go. Yep. Vice, Liam, anything else you guys want to ask? Clayface, Clayface, yeah, Clayface, the Clark King man, the fucking condiment king. Oh, I mean, yeah, I got, I have, I gotta sell my poster now, like an actual. Oh, I gotta get to somebody big. Condiment king, baby, all the way. Condiment king, twenty twenty three. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, Uh, Scott. uh, Where, where again on your socials and and stuff like that can people find you? Uh, you could read my work at Forbes.com, The Ticket Booth. Google some variation of Forbes, Scott Mendelson, The Ticket Booth. Uh, if you want to yell at me, you can go to Twitter at, at Scott Mendelson. At Scott Mendelson. Uh, I do have a Facebook page, but it's mostly like cat photos and kid photos. and It's not where the 
where I I'm not annoying on Facebook. I'm only annoying. <laughs> <laughs> you you do you do like to play the heel on Twitter quite a bit, which is why we love you. Um, because I can take it because I'm the hero they deserve, but not the hero they need right now. <laughs> they can hate me, but that's the point. You're gonna ride off on a motorcycle and retire for eight years. Um, yes. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, you can find me at Liam Odin on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Thank you. And Vice. Oh, I'm on the, the, the Twitter's at Vice Pictures. Letterbox is being smart. Instagram being hot. I'm doing all the things online. Um, as a matter of fact, tonight I'm going to put this uh, 45-day-old dry age porterhouse two inches thick. So come be watching the Instagrams and Twitters. Put a show for you. It's going to be great. Batman, yeah, Batman, whatever. I'm trying to lose weight here. Yeah, <laughs> happy birthday again. Enjoy yeah. that porterhouse. Yeah, happy. <laughs> it's happy birthday. Uh, you can find the show uh, at A4E Podcast on Twitter. Uh, obviously, you're listening to it, so you know you can find it anywhere that you find podcasts. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm, I'm locked right now. I'm taking a little little break, but you can find me at Hibachi Justice on Twitter and Letterboxd. Um, Letterboxd is still open where I did. I logged Batman. I did not rate it because I did not want the Bat fans to find me. <laughs> so, um, uh, boys, Scott, thank you so much. Boys, this was an absolute love, pleasure. Love talking to you every so week, much. as always. And uh, we will do this again next week. Talk to everybody soon. All right. Yeah.